up? Another week. Live Life Aggressively podcast. Sincere here. Got Mike on the other line. What's up, brother? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm good. It's been a pretty pretty cool week, man. It's like, you know, getting things settled here at home. Um, so I can tell you this much. Next time you roll into town, you're hanging out here at the crib, you know, got a nice little patio set. We can actually do the podcast while looking at the lake, you know, from my patio there, man. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, nice yeah looking forward there. to that. Good. Yeah, What's going on with cool. you, though? I'm doing good, man. Just kicking back now. I've just been home for a week after my Holland trip. So just getting back into the swing of things. Got my new systemic enzyme supplement. Should be coming out in a couple of weeks. And I'm getting a lot of people emailing me, asking me about it, which is always nice to see. So I should hopefully get some information about that on maybe next week. And then I'm looking at the first week, first or second week of September, ready to get that rolling. And then uh, with my testosterone booster selling so well that I'm about to sell out of inventory again. So I'm in a funny situation right now where yeah, I actually grab I actually, my bottles. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's kind of like well, I always make sure I have like 12 bottles at all times for my just for myself in case anything goes wrong, like where there's a delay in getting inventory. It's like I always want to have that many in my personal supply. But what's funny is that I'm in a situation right now where I'm not doing any. Bla- I didn't blast out the episode we did with Robert yet because. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get a, I'm going to get a lot of hits, and then people are going to try to buy a product. It's going to go into back order fast. So right now, I'm actually trying to slow down sales as opposed to getting as many as possible until I get my next inventory, which should be next week. So that's always kind of a funny problem to have. But it's interesting when you're, you're like, man, I'm sold out of this again, and this is going to take a while to come in. And you're, and you're, and you're irritated in your mind, but you're, that, that, those are good problems to have. You know? Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. I, I think there are a lot of people listening that own their own business like, Damn, I would love to have that problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like the fact that this thing is always selling out, and it's like every time it sells out, I buy more bottles the next time, and then it still sells out. I mean, those are good problems. I mean, the demand is high, the feedback has been awesome for it. Right. So that's so, so it's all good, man. So those, those things are working out really well. But it's interesting. I was actually thinking about just just the whole concept of energy in general, because I always get people asking me, you know, what do you do to get more energy? And there's definitely a lot of things you can do, of course, with optimizing your sleep, your training, right. your diet, things like that. But those, a lot of those things we, always, we already know about. But one thing that I don't hear too many people talk about is waste. Let, stop wasting energy and you'll have more of a surplus. I mean, just think about how many things we waste energy on, whether it's garbage television or, or unnecessary phone calls or just dealing with idiots that are hecklers in your business, like people on YouTube talking smack or something like that. You know, someone yeah, you're never going to on your page or they're posting on the Facebook, yeah. Facebook feed, and you feel like you're so important that you have to chime in and then right. just like really contribute and keep, keep on adding on to the, to the comments and the debate and going back and forth. And they yeah. you know, lost like an hour or two of time. Yeah, I just, my, my goal on that is just delete and forget about it. But in other words, delete, <laughs> block, forget about the person. Like I had a guy who like anytime I would post anything about my testosterone booster, this guy would always jump in and be like, oh, I'm skeptical. I, you know, I really doubt this thing works. It's like, look, dude, either try it and then tell me it didn't work or it worked or just shut up. But your, 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 your feedback is not relevant here. Yeah, and, then, and then it's like, you know, like every time I post something about this, you got to jump in with this, this skepticism, naysayer type stuff. And, hey, every, I, don't, I don't mind people being skeptical. You know, I'm skeptical, too, when I look at stuff. But it's like, you know, actually have some credibility to back up your skepticism. You know? Right. So that, that you're not just – I mean, to me, it's, it's just like it's very self-serving. You're just trying to draw attention to yourself. But my attitude is I don't engage with people like that anymore. When I see people doing that kind of stuff, this whole look at me, trying to get attention, trying to use my traffic or my name to get attention to themselves, 
right. it's called it's called delete and block man i'm done with you i'm not going to yeah. think about you you're finished and because yeah, there's, there's no, there's no choose your battles no, man there's no way to win it's like you're you're debating with someone with a fake name on youtube i mean come on there's there's <laughs> there's, there's no way to win even if you convince this person after you know, several going back and forth emails that you're right and he's wrong, you still lost because you wasted time. It's kind of like getting into a fight in the real life, right? There's, there's really no winner. Now, of course, you can be a bigger loser. You don't want to get your butt kicked <laughs> and all that. But the same time is just getting into a fight, there's probably going to be additional problems that come with that. Maybe there's going to be legal repercussions or maybe right. someone tried to beat you up and you won, and now that person wants revenge. And now you got to walk around thinking, okay, when's what am I, Yeah, exactly. When am I going to get jumped? So, I mean, so the best thing you can do is, not get in the situation, which is not always unavoidable. You know, sometimes you're stuck in a situation where you you're, you're up, you have no choice but to throw down. But most of the time, we can avoid that kind of stuff, right. especially just, just avoid going to places where people drink, and that's 99% of any potential problem right there, any potential yeah. altercation. <laughs> because one thing about it, most time, alcohol is liquid courage in, in so many different formats, right. whether you think you're the biggest pimp in the bar and you can have any woman that you want, or you can be all of a sudden you're Mr. World – world champion in, in MMA, <laughs> and now you think you can choke out anybody that looks at you crazy. <laughs> so it, 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 it's, it's so crazy, man. It's just like liquid courage. But the thing is, and trust me, they were already buttholes before they started drinking. So now they just need some way to pull the trigger on being the super butthole. Now, wouldn't it be great if they took that same energy and apply that to something more worthwhile like an organization, you know, and helping, you know, helping out, people that really need help or animals that really need help or yeah, helping right. out the homeless or actually finally pulling the trigger, leaving a BS job that they effing hate, which is probably the reason why they're in the bar getting drunk, you know, and or leaving, finally having the courage to just tell this insignificant other that it's no longer working, which is another reason why they probably are in the bar getting drunk. <laughs> and you don't well, I think that, man. I think it's kind of a universal law that if, if you're in the bar every Friday, you don't like what you do for a living. <laughs> you know, because... So there because, is a great chance that some part of your life sucks so much. <laughs> because, I mean, uh, I, I don't ever get that urge, to be honest with you. Man. I, don't, I don't get the urge of, like, God, i got to get away from my work and just go get blasted. <laughs> and, and I've had that feeling before when I was doing yeah. jobs I hated. So I understand that mentality. But I think when you like doing what you want to do, it's, 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 a lot of the unhealthy habits you had kind of fall to the wayside without you having to consciously think about it. Mm-hmm. But I think that I, I think back to this whole thing about energy is that a lot of people don't realize that it's, it's if you get rid of the unhealthy habits that are causing that energy dissipation, you're going to have way more energy to do the things you want to do. If you, right. if you go to go to sleep with much less anxiety, so you get, let's say, six, seven hours of deep sleep, that's a lot better than eight, nine hours of tossing and turning and then yeah, waking and you up. Know, it's so funny you say that. So many people don't understand when I tell them that. I'm like, okay, as soon as you ask people about, you know, what are you doing? When they say, like, okay, this is not working, or I need to fix this, what do I do? And, of course, you know, the first thing most people are thinking about is, like, what workout plan? What, what program should I get on to, to, to get rid of this and get rid of that? I'm like, before you step into a gym to get rid of something, how about you start from home? What's in your home that's hindering things? I mean, I said, let's start with the bedroom. And, you know, of course, they think about the first, the obvious. I'm like, no, even be- before that, okay, before you even think about, you know, the person that you're in the bedroom with or not with. Let's talk about your sleep. Oh, no, no, I get plenty of sleep. I get, like, I get like eight to nine, ten hours of sleep. I mean, yeah, but it's a quality sleep. And then there's that Scooby-Doo look. You know, what are you talking about? You know, quality <laughs> sleep. I'm like, I said, do you toss and turn? I said, do you, can you find yourself in the same spot, you know, within the same area that you went to bed in? Or are you all over the place and stretched out <laughs> and, 
<laughs> you look <laughs> like a you know a starfish when you wake up. You know, all limbs are out. You know, <laughs> so they're like, oh well, no, I, I toss and turn. Or I get up a couple times. I have to go to the bathroom. Blah blah. I'm like, look, dude, I could drink a couple glasses of water thirty minutes before bed. I'm not waking back up until the next morning. And yeah, I'm making a mad dash to the bathroom, but my bladder's not even going to wake me up. Okay, that's how <laughs> relaxed I am. I said, but there are ways, and it's funny. I tell them about certain apps. I know we're going to talk about this in a few, man, just like some of our favorite apps. And those things have kind of really helped some of the folks that I've talked to um, because a lot of times they're like, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, you know, they're the big things as far as like, okay, what's going on with your your relationships? What's going on with your job? What's going on with your kids? Things like that. But there are the smaller, smaller, there are smaller steps to start with. And some of these apps that we talk about are great ways to kind of start things off. And also just, even when you eat at certain times of the day, you know, if you're eating like 30 minutes or an hour before you go to bed, well, guess what? You're probably going to have a crappy night as far as sleep is concerned because right. your, your digestive system is trying to break down that food. It's not giving a crap about you wanting to rest. It can't rest right now. You just handed it a big assignment. You're kind of like the, the butthole boss that comes in right as soon as you finish something. He comes and just drops all this paperwork on your desk like, all right, Mahler, here you go. <laughs> so it's just, and that's pretty much how your digestive system feels. Like, so it's clearing out all the other food from throughout the day and whatever right. madness that you've ingested. You know, here you come dropping more paperwork. I'm like, here you go, more crappy food. Break it down. Oh, and um, that would be great if you can get that done before I get really, really sleepy. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. And then you're more likely to have nightmares that are going to wake you up out of your sleep. You have a big meal, especially right before you go to bed. So, so, I mean, also, there's, a, there's an app. Let me just take a look at my phone because I put it in about a month ago. It's pretty cool. It's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. And it's one of these sleep apps. It's just called White Noise. Oh, yeah, I've seen that one. I've seen that one. Let's see. And do you know if that was just for iPhone or is it both, for both platforms? Whoop. I think he dropped again. So when Mike – okay, we'll wait for Mike to get back on. You know, telling, you know, Skype, it does that to you. So anyhow, um, hey, I'm, I'm back. My, I'm back. back? Uh, yeah, Skype, man, I'm telling you this. I get dropped on Skype that I get this message. Oh, please rate our call and service. I'm like, well, oh, stop. that is so hilarious. <laughs> like, really? But I'm in the you know, middle of recording a podcast, and my, my rating for you guys is that it sucks. <laughs> yeah, but keep in mind, the mind behind Skype now is Microsoft. And I think that answers everything, any problem. <laughs> that says it all right there. You know, it doesn't help that, you know, Microsoft is known for their blue screen of death. It doesn't help that the branding colors of Skype is blue so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as I was saying, that, that app, White Noise, which is completely free, it's pretty cool. It has different sounds, such as rain falling or, like, you're next to a beach. It even has one, like, the sound. I don't know why anyone would want to listen to this, but it's that, that the sound of the engine when you're on a plane. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know why I would want to have that on my phone listening to it when I'm at home. It's not, it's not exactly a sound that brings fond memories. But anyway, the whole key is to have this constant sound in the background, kind of like this dull sound. And then right. that kind of puts you almost in like a mem- mesmerized state where you go into this deep sleep. And it works really well, especially for those of you that travel a lot. It's kind of a familiar sound, comfortable sound. So you get into a sleep, a good sleep pattern. But I think a lot of people don't realize that when – the room is super quiet, your brain starts racing. So sometimes oh, yeah. it's better to have some well, dull you know. noise, whether it's a fan on or something like that, or this app going all night. I like listening to the Holistic Meditation Program, honestly. I listen to that. Yeah, every no, you, I actually got up on that with you, from you years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, I I probably about, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 
Um, I, I love that. I mean, I love that program. Like the, you helped me discover that one. Probably one of the earlier workshops I attended with you, man. Um, um, it's probably the one um, with you know John Hines and Brookfield were there, and you talked about it then during your hormone optimization lecture, and that's when I really became hip to that, and I immediately went and got it, and I know you had it on your website back then, and um, it's a great program. Um, so sometimes you know folks are not really issue you know dish out the money for a program like that, so it's really good when you get something free like Mike's talking about with the White Noise yeah. app. And for me, I like Relax Time. That's another great app. Uh, I don't know if it's available for iPhone, but I know it is for Android. Um, it's called Relax Time. And the cool thing about that one, it's kind of the same premise as White Noise. And me being with the DJ in me still in there, there are ways that you can actually program the actual, like, background noise while you're doing it. So they have, like, um, one section where you can just pretty much tap. You can pretty much mix things in. It's almost like <laughs> being a DJ. So basically, if you want to, like, there's a category of natural effects. So you have, like, ocean, rain, rainforest, things like that, um, you know, like a brook, um, you know, even the drips like in a cave or, you know, maybe birds or something like that. You can tap that, and you can just have that alone, or you can add, also they have a section called soft melodies, where you can have, like, alpha waves and um, noises pretty much like the jungle or the, the dimby drum or, like, this really faint guitar or the marimba or something like that. And you can put those together, and then you pretty much set the time, how long you want it to go on. So you may not want it to be on all night. So right. you can even just set for a certain amount of time that it will just go off and be done. And you, and you can also keep track of that. So one thing about it, you can save each one of these mixes you put together and name it whatever you want. So then you already have them put together. You don't sit there and try to, make, you know, like, oh, what did I do last time? And I really, like I said, I really love that app. Like I said, the name of that app is Relax Time. And, um... Other than that, man, I've, I've mentioned it before about the binaural beats and the, the, bi, um, the binality apps, which pretty much uses, like, the brain waves. I really love that because it really kind of just really works. I don't even know the science behind it, but all I know is let's just say I've been working or editing the podcast, and it's, it becomes a really late night, and I pretty much get, end up going to bed late, and I still have to get up early the next day. So let's say I probably get like four or five hours of sleep, which I don't recommend for anyone to do regularly. This is it's rare for me because I love my sleep. I've come to really appreciate sleep, you know, but sometimes it just doesn't work out like that, you know. And so if I know I got four hours, I'm only going to get four hours of sleep, I will turn on those brainwaves, you know, the binaural beats, man. And they have so many. They have one for insomnia. Like I said, I don't know what it is. And what I'll do is either – I use the headphones or I'll just really put the phone. I'll put the phone in airplane mode, first of all, so all the radiation, all the other crap is, like, off the phone. So, right. But your phone still functions when you put it in airplane mode. So, yeah. anyhow, I'll go ahead and put those on, and I'll put the phone, you know, kind of close to the bed where it's just in earshot, which makes me have to really focus. I don't want to have it too close. I want to kind of have it a little bit far off so I can really focus on the sound, which that right there really helps relax you. Because you, you're not thinking about anything else. I want to really focus on that, you know, on that, um, that brainwave sound. And, dude, when I tell you I can still feel just as great after four hours of sleep as I can with eight or nine hours of sleep. And trust me, it's, it's quality sleep, kind of, if you can say that. <laughs> I'm not tossing and turning those four hours. It's, when I wake up, I wake up fresh. I feel like I've slept eight hours. Again, this is not something you can do every day. Because guess what? You're going to have to pay the piper, you know, after a while. But every right. now and then it happens. You know, and sometimes this, this can be very beneficial. Let's say if you're doing just like you did, where you just travel to Europe and you come back, you know, time zones will get you all jacked up. 
and especially for you because you're out like, man, you're out in Pacific time. You know, it's pretty much like the very last time zone there is. <laughs> you know, going to like one of right, the, the right. middle to first time zones. So it can really jack you up. So th- this is where this can kind of really help you almost function, on, you know, when you have to travel like that. So, yeah, I really like that. It's, it's called Binaural Beats. And it's really cool. Now, they haven't really updated the app in a while, but they're always updating everything on YouTube, on their YouTube page. Um, and then, like I said, the other one's Binality. So they're pretty much about the same. You just type in Brainwave app in Android in the Play Store. These two will come up. So those are my yeah. favorites right there, man. That's cool. I mean, there's a lot of free programs like this. I, I just downloaded another one called, it might be similar to, it's just called Relax Melodies. So, I mean, mm-hmm. and this one's free as well. So there's a whole bunch of these that you can get out there either that are free or a couple bucks. So if sleep quality for you is something that's been poor, Definitely check that out. And actually, Ancient Minerals, which who, who are the is the company that makes the best-selling magnesium oil, and they also private labeled my recovery oil for me. So they have really good stuff. They actually sent me a new product they're working on. I'm not sure if they're selling it yet. It's actually a cream which has magnesium and melatonin in it. So it's a transdermal oh. delivery. And I took this last night, and that stuff puts you into a serious deep sleep state because the melatonin is now time released throughout the night. When you take an oral melatonin, you get a big hit of melatonin yeah. that wears off. And a lot of people will tell me they'll wake up in the middle of the night out of that melatonin sleep, and then they have a hard time going back to sleep. Yeah, I've been so, one of those people before in the past. And that's kind of the reason why I stopped, you know, taking the, the sublingual melatonin. You know, right. because, and it's one of those things also, you gotta, if you are taking it, you've got to kind of cycle off of You can't have it. You can't depend on it every night. It's, no, it's, no, not at it's all. It's not going to be liquid ambient, okay? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, melatonin is a hormone, like any other hormone. You, you take it for too long, then you're not going to produce the hormone melatonin itself. So it's one of those things where you want to have it on standby. Maybe you're having a rough night, you're not getting to sleep for whatever reason. Maybe you're traveling, it's perfect time to use it. That's how I use melatonin, too. Maybe I'm going through a really hard training phase where your nervous system is more hyped up as a result. So you need something right. to kind of help bring you down. So you have to be disciplined with stuff like that. You don't want to be, become overly reliant on it. Because like you said, now you're, now you're less... Now you're, now you're losing the skill set of how to get into a relaxed state and get into a deep sleep all on your own. Right. Or from using a stuff like an app, that's like an assistance tool that's helping you enhance that process. But something like melatonin can take the place of it if you, get, you start using it too much. Now, at a certain age, you're, you're pretty much shut down as it is anyway, and that can be anywhere right. from 55, 60, sometimes younger. So that, that would be more of a special case where, yeah, go ahead and take it every day because you're not producing any anyway and it's, and it's not going to come back. But the, there, are, there are some benefits of cycling in melatonin supplementation. It's, it's one of the only antioxidants that can pass the blood-brain barrier. It's really good for your immune system. They're discovering more and more benefits of optimal melatonin level. So when I, when I see, but now they often equate this to when you take melatonin supplementation, these are the benefits. But my attitude is, is that supplementation of melatonin is just bringing your levels back into optimal. So if you can get there naturally, it should be the same benefits. Right. Kind of like, you know, here are the benefits of testosterone replacement for people with low testosterone. It's like, well, if I can get my testosterone into optimal naturally, then I should have the same benefits. Right. I, actually, I like that idea. Of, you know, yeah. I like that idea that, they, you know, they, make, they made a cream. Um, Ancient Minerals is making a cream now with with magnesium and melatonin because, um, you know, the, we've had people in the past, I know through your experience, you know, working with them, you've had people say like, you know, the, the spray may make them itch or, you know, irritate your skin and things like that. Right. And, you know, 
and no matter what, some people just have very sensitive skin. Um, and so I, I actually feel like this cream probably would be a big benefit, big time, man. And plus, I mean, it's still pretty much the same process. I mean, it's going through the biggest organ in the body. It's going through the skin, which means you're getting maximum absorption compared to actually ingesting it, you know, like any other, you know, supplement that you may take or whatever. So, I, I, like I said, I like the idea that any, um, what's the ETA for them putting that out? I'm not sure. I mean, it may already be out. It's called, okay. good, it's called Good Nights. I, I wasn't sure if it was a prototype they sent me or, or they're just sending me a sample. I mean, right. if you guys look at just ancientminerals.com or you put it in Google, you should, it should be able to pop up. If you don't see it on the website, then I'm assuming it's not out yet, or maybe they're still trying to get feedback from people sending out sample bottles. But there are, there are other options out there. Life Flow makes a transdermal melatonin the cream. They also make transdermal DHEA, transdermal 7 keto transdermal progesterone, you know, you name it. They, they're very good at transdermal hormone release products. But what that's another option. It's called Life-Flow. And if you okay. go to Vitacost.com, it's pretty inexpensive. I mean, you can get, let's say, a one-month supply of DHEA cream for less for $10, I think, $10, $11. Wow. And one pump gives you, I think, about 20 milligrams, which yeah. people, people hearing me say, oh, only 20 milligrams, but you have to realize you're absorbing a lot more. When you take 100 milligrams of oral DHEA, you may, be only, you may only be absorbing 10 milligrams or less. Yeah, I can attest to, I can attest to that because I've, I've actually had to have my dosage up um, the last time I went to see my naturopath. I mean, when the first time I started out with 75 milligrams, but that, now when you look at it, it's probably, I probably absorbed pretty much. I mean, this was a sublingual tablet. Probably, I, I was lucky if I even got anywhere close to 10 milligrams by doing it that way. Yeah, so, that's it boosted up to like 150, you know. And then yeah. I started to finally feel something going on there. And the, one of the cool things is actually, man, to bring this up, um, the last time I was doing 75 milligrams, I did that with your testosterone booster. And then I actually really, really felt things working for once with the DHEA and so that, I think that really helped out where I didn't have to take as much because it starts getting a little expensive when you have to take that many milligrams. You'll go through a bottle pretty freaking quickly. But <laughs> So, yeah, I'm glad you um, brought up this, the cream. I, I was not aware that they had the cream itself, like um, a reputable cream on Vitacost. I mean, that, that oh, yeah. site can become like a crack house <laughs> for people that, that supplement, man. Oh, no. <laughs> so you have to be careful. And, you know, one of the things I would probably suggest you not to do, people, is actually, it's almost like I'm telling them to do it, is not get the Vitacost app. Okay, that's an app I won't suggest because <laughs> you, can find, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble. I had to have my wife remove that thing off her freaking phone because it was becoming, I mean, every other day we were getting like a Vitacost package at the door. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> I'm like, you got to break this habit, woman. Take that thing off the phone right now. <laughs> yeah, Vitacost. They send you like a 10% sales coupon every day. I know. Like, they're how, like many, how many man. sales are you guys going to have? You know, the thing about I mean, for any of you who run a business, you, you can't have a sale every week because no, no one takes it seriously anymore. Exactly. So it's, like, there's, there's several different companies I can think of where every, every week I'm getting, oh, got a 10% discount on this. Next week, oh, here's <laughs> another coupon. It's like, well, you might as well just lower your prices by 10% and stop sending me these, these emails because – it's not, it's not special if it's every week. It has to right. be every once in a while you do a discount. Maybe you do it for day after Thanksgiving, you do a big discount. A lot of us do that, and that's very yeah. effective. Maybe every once in a while you, you, you got an excess inventory. You're like, whoa, I didn't expect to have this much inventory, so you have an excess inventory sale or whatever it is. But every week, come on. That's just, not a sale. Okay. You just get people desensitized. That's all you do. Right. Once they become desensitized, it's not. 
you're not going to you're not going to provoke an action if there isn't an underlying sense of urgency. And if they're getting the same discount every week, there's no sense of urgency. Right. So no need. And to the same thing goes with, with your business. I know there's some people out there, and they have let's just say they have fitness boot camps and things like that. So they have they're pretty much running a special every other week, like every two weeks. <laughs> so yeah. my thing is, you know, you're and then you'll sit there and still say that. You know, we have a limited amount of people who can come in. You know, we're only opening this up to this amount of people for this session or whatever. But the thing is, you're doing a special all the time, so I can see why you're probably limited on space because every week you're doing a special. I'm pretty sure, you know, I would think that, you know, people are taking advantage of that, and it's pretty packed in there. Or it'll become overwhelming. Like, well, damn, dude, if you're doing a special like this all the time, I'm pretty sure it's crowded. I don't want to be there when it's 50, 60 people there one time. Like, how are you going to know, you know, pretty much what I'm going to need specifically or whatever? So, Kind of brings me to one of the things we talk about, just predictions in the fitness industry. And I've, I've probably been, I've been saying this product for about a year now. The whole fitness boot camp thing, I think it is just the way we talk about the way work, workshops are going. The fitness yeah. boot camps, I feel like it's also going to go that way as well. And I think a lot of folks need to start really looking at their their business model. If they're basing around these fitness boot camps, they have to really start asking themselves now. Because you got to admit, especially if you just started one in the last year, two or three years. You know, these, they've been around for a while now, and they've become just this commodity. There's, no, there's nothing really special about them anymore as far as seeing them on paper. And it's one of the reasons why I've kind of moved away from it. I don't right. really do it anymore. And it's, when people call like, oh, do you do boot camp? I'm like, well, first of all, I never did a boot camp. Um, I say that for the military. I'm not, this, is not a role, this is not a role-playing thing. I'm not going <laughs> to pretend like I'm Lou Gossett Jr. and this is an officer and a gentleman. You know, I'm going to treat you like Richard yeah. Gere. <laughs> I'm not going to be screaming in your face. This is not Hamburger Hill or, you, you know, Full Metal Jacket. Are you a queer or a steer? <laughs> I'm not going to talk like like a like or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, no. you know, I'm not going to sit there and talk about your mama just to get you riled up and you know, it's crazy because there's actually a, you know, a boot camp oh, well, guy here in Houston that actually sprays people with water. He does like a 4 or 5 a.m. camp. We've got to go on a quick tangent with that officer to gentleman statement because <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorite movies growing up. You know? <laughs> Luke Gossett Jr., he was, he, was out, he was such an awesome actor. I mean, he's still a great actor, but he, that was such a great role for him. I mean, it's so highly quotable. It's like he's talking about what he did at the boot camp line. Like, where are you from, boy? And he's, he's all whispering something. He's like, stop whispering. You're making my dick hard. <laughs> he has so many classic lines like that. <laughs> he, was, he, he had that rolled out so well. And I, and, I, and I remember when he won the Academy Award, I was like, oh, this is great, well-deserved. And then, and then his career just, like, took a big nosedive. Like, he, had, he was in a couple of really crappy movies. Like you know, the Oscars, they do that for you. The Oscars, yeah, they do. Like, I mean, Halle Berry, what's really happened since, you know, Monsters Ball? Yeah. You know, you know, and so, I, oh, think no, I, I don't person. really know what happened to Halle since she finally aired her Hooters on, an episode, on, on a movie. That oh, yeah, the that, um, the one with John Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Second time. Because, you know, Monsters Ball, she aired everything. Yeah, that was the funny thing. It's the first movie is that she's, she's like, well, I'm never going to go topless and something. And then, like, well, you know, how about we pay you an extra $10 million or something for it? She's okay. like, okay, movie's out. And, and then that started a whole trend. So it's, it's like, the next movie, forget about having her chest on. It was like full blown nudity, sex scenes, and all that. So she, so she dove right into that. She's like, all right, I've already opened that door. I'm going to go all the way now. Literally. <laughs> Like, I'm going to go all the way with Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> 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 See, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> so, yeah, 
you know, I mean, she's been very questionable to Storm. You know, take it from a comic book nerd. My thing is, the less she talks in the X-Men movies, the better I feel. <laughs> because I, from the what, very what start, think, when, I was uh, told, when I was told she was going to play Storm, you know, I was like, really? Have these people never read X-Men? Like, what? of course, you know, a lot of people wanted Angela Bassett, but I think, you know, they were kind of looking at the age thing or whatever. But I'm like, when you look at a body that is more fitting and in line as far as an African-American actress, that's more in line with the actual comic book character. At that time, Angela Bassett, and still at this time, because her body still looks great. It still looks like what's love got to do with it, you know? And, you know, so, and plus, she can act. I'm sorry, people. I'm just going to piss some people off. Hallie can't act. I'll say it. Uh, I, doubt, I doubt it'll piss anyone. I've never been impressed <laughs> with a performance from her. The only one that was semi-impressionable was her portrayal of Dorothy Dandridge, you know? So, and that was about it. But anything else? Come on, it's just the action. Her acting is terrible. Angela, Angela Bassett, on the other hand, she's awesome, man. Well, she's, she's a badass. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, she's definitely. She can take a crappy. I mean, she can play the mother in Boys in the Hood, okay, <laughs> and still <laughs> have a great performance. You know, with yeah. the limited amount of screen time she had on that, she right, was right. Def- She made. I think that she made Catherine Jackson actually have some some depth when she played her in the Jackson family movie. Okay. <laughs> so, this is how great this woman is. So, yeah, so she looks good, and she can actually act. It's a rare quality these days <laughs> to have both. No, nah, it's so true. But, yeah, like, you know, what you're saying about boot camp is dead on. And, you know, the, thing, the funny thing about it, now I've just been listening to Robert Green's book, 33 Strategies of War, which is awesome. And he talks – one of the things he talks about in there, which I agree with completely, is that you, the strategies that work for you for previous successes – Right. are probably not going to work for you for the next thing you try to do. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of people get comfortable. They struggle, they find a few things that work, and then they never find anything else again. And then they start getting diminishing returns on those right. early methodologies because they didn't evolve with the time. So, like, you know, right. things I did early in my career are not going to have the same level of effectiveness now. Right. Like for example, when I, when I wrote articles for Bodybuilding.com and all these other Internet magazines and so forth, uh, back then it, that was still kind of an emerging thing. So it was, it, you would get, it was kind of a big deal. Now it's, you're just going to get lost in the, flood, in, in the flutter. And so if you go right for some of these websites, it, you're probably never going to be found. So you have to start thinking creatively. You have to start thinking on a much higher creative level. So, for right. example, something like what we're doing with the podcast, that's a different means of getting out to people. Because people, right. are very, people are very audio-oriented. So that, and also people have a lot of dead time. So now you're thinking smart. You're like, okay, a lot of people have dead time. So how can I – how can I access them during that time? They're stuck in their car for long periods of time. They're stuck on a train. They're flying around. And like a lot of the feedback we get from people are people that travel a lot, people that are right. driving all the time, people that just have dead time wherever it is. Like a friend of mine who drives a FedEx truck, he's all day long, he's listening to podcasts and right. just getting a lot of good information. So, I mean, now, now imagine if no one did podcasts and this guy just had to go read articles on the Internet anytime he wanted info. Well, he, he's probably not going to do that after working hard all day, just like most of our listeners probably don't. You, you worked hard all day. You're probably not going to jump on the computer and, and read articles on the web all night. But the podcast can work in when you have time where you can't do anything else. You're stuck in the car, et cetera. So, I mean, that's just an example of, of evolving with the times and just thinking outside the box, too. Because right. just strategies we used to promote workshops 10 years ago are not going to be as effective now are effective at all. So now we have to come up with other means to do stuff. But I think sometimes success can make you really stop because you get, 
it's like, it's like before you became successful, you, like we were talking before we started recording, you're really hungry. So you're out there yeah. pushing stuff. You're being innovative. You have that fire. And then, then you have a certain level of success, and all of a sudden you start feeling entitled now. It's like, well, you know, I'm so-and-so, so people should just do this for me. And I tell right. you what, you're, you are on a nosedive for a big-time failure when you start having that attitude. Because yeah. what, what got you to success is that sharp mentality. You need to keep that. And then you need to keep learning how to evolve with time to keep to stay self-reliant rather than hoping that other people just roll out the carpet for you anytime you want to do stuff. Right, man. I mean, you, you have to stay hungry. I don't care who you are. Even if you're at a buffet, stay hungry, <laughs> you know? Because the thing is, you got to be very picky on what you're going to eat off that buffet menu. And right now, with technology the way it is, Right now, there are so many avenues that you can utilize to actually promote your business and, and actually, like, build your brand. It's like a big technology buffet. But the thing is, you don't necessarily have to eat everything that they, they make available to you. You take right. what's the best thing, and you don't overstuff yourself. You know, leave a little bit in the tank, and guess what? A, you'll be able to come back to the buffet and pick something else, you know, on another visit or whatever. So my thing is, yeah, you have a lot of things made available to you. But the thing is, don't just get so comfortable with that one thing. But at the same time, don't overdo it and try to get everything. So you got to find this. This is about balance, man. You got to find that happy medium and then realize, okay, this is working great right now. Doesn't mean it's going to always be this way. So you know, I got to keep my. I don't want to be so focused on this one way of that's working that I don't see other stuff that's happening. And that's usually right. what happens in this industry. People are so like, like razor sharp focused that they end up missing things. They actually lose focus if that makes any sense. You know, yeah. they get locked in, man. But it's like, okay, even if you got, you're locked into this one target, you realize that this, whoever the opponent is, whatever this target is, it showed up with some friends. <laughs> okay. It's kind, of, it's kind of like getting got into a gang fight. You got six dudes on you. Okay. We've always heard, go for the big guy. <laughs> okay. But the thing is, here's the thing. Those medium and little guys are still kicking you in your ribs while you're fighting the big guy. Right. So, yeah, you've you got to be aware. Other things are happening around you, you know, so how are you going to address those things? You know, are they going to be worth your time? Are they going to be worth your energy? And is the thing that you're so locked on, is that going to be worth all of your time and energy, you know, for the long haul? And the thing is, most likely, no. So you got to be ready to adapt, man. So Yeah, and then yeah, sometimes it's, it's not even the promotion strategy that doesn't work anymore. It's the product that doesn't work right. anymore. So, for example, like when I first started, I would just call my workshop Beginner Kettlebell Workshop. And the reason is, is that I didn't really have branding where calling it Aggressive Strength Workshop would make a whole lot of sense because no one really knew who I was at that point. But right. people that were interested in kettlebells, they would want to come learn how to use kettlebells, not necessarily because it was me teaching. They just saw that, oh, here's a guy teaching it. I'm going to go check it out. Now, right. over time, it got to the point where people were coming to the workshops for me. They're like, I want to go learn from Mike rather than I just want to learn about kettlebell training. And then that's when I started changing the name of stuff. Now, now it made more sense to call my stuff aggressive strength workshops as a way to delineate me from all the competition because now right. all of a sudden there were a ton of other people te teaching workshops as well, and they're calling it level one just like I did or they're calling it beginner. So now the customer is not necessarily going to be able to differentiate the difference between one instructor or the other, but if you, if you have good branding for your business like I do and you do too, then – Using that with your products makes a lot of sense. Just like with my supplements, it's all part of the aggressive strength line. Just like with my videos, aggressive strength line, workshops, same thing. So there's a consistency among those things. And then what you're letting people know is 
look, you can go to someone else's workshop if you want, but you're not going to get me there. It's like, right. yeah, that person may be teaching you beginner basic stuff. I'm doing that, but I have a way of doing it, which is the aggressive strength system. And that's what you get when you come to me. And you're not going to get that from anyone else. Right. So all of a sudden, it's a much more compelling, it's a much more compelling sales point than if you're just too generic. Where it's like, oh, beginner kettlebell workshop, and then there's 50 other people in your city who are doing that, or or all over the, all over the country. So I mean, that's one thing about that, right there. Of, Sure. Yeah, and the one thing about that, you have to have something that, before you even think about it, I know maybe some people listen like, yeah, I'm going to just change it now to whatever my brand is or whatever. But <laughs> you have yeah. to have something compelling enough to differentiate yourself from everyone else, not just changing the name of your workshop. There are things that Mike does in his workshop. There are things I do in my workshop. Okay, look, let's just be honest. Like when I do a new warrior training, like bodyweight workshop, hey, look, I know there are thousand guys out there doing bodyweight stuff. There are guys always focusing on calisthenics or this, that, and the other. Okay, but there are just certain things. I mean, I know there's some people that do animal movements as their focus only. But the thing is, I have my twist on things, and I've had things that I've integrated that I've created along with things I already had and experience with using and mesh those things together. So it gets to the point where people go, oh, this is kind of like so-and-so, but, it, but it's not. You know, that's, that's a good thing. Okay, so, and to the point where people are like, yeah, I started doing, you know, this, you know, you know, sincere style, new warrior style. And I see people posting these workouts all the time, and they'll tag me in it. And, you know, it's a, it's a great compliment, you know, that they have that. Even just certain things, like even with kettlebells, like right now, is the thing I'm using right now. Um, it's, it's an integration with, you know, when you look, look at it on paper, some people might think it's hokey or whatever. But just with a, with a mind, using mindfulness walking as a way to actually – help you with your, your kettlebell jerk. Um, and when people think about that, like, how is that? Well, here's the thing about mindfulness walking. And it's also very beneficial for those, especially in kettlebell sports, just anybody doing anything, any type of muscle endurance training. When you're doing mindfulness walking, pretty much what you're doing is you're walking pretty much step by step. If you're, you're very focused on each step, um, it, it's an Eastern tradition. You pretty much like you can have, a, have your hands behind you or in front of you, but what you're doing, you're pretty much watching your steps or actually looking just slightly ahead of your steps, and you're going at a very focused pace. And so what ends up happening with this, so it's almost like almost going heel-toe. It just depends how you do it. It's, very, very, it's different variations of this. But the thing is, to sit there, like the other day, I went 200 yards of doing this. And so 100 yards down our, down our parking lot and then 100 yards coming back. Now, most people think, well, you're just walking. Well, you're really not just walking because it takes focus to sit there and just watch those steps and really tune out everything else. What you'd be very aware of is how much balance and focus and strength it takes to walk that path and walk like with, like, for me, I did it like right foot in front of foot. You know, I didn't just do my normal walking where you just normally walk and you got like a little space between your feet when you walk, a nice little pathway. No, pretty much it's almost like walking a tightrope but not so, not so concentrated on that. Dude, that takes so much effort. You'll find, yourself, you'll find yourself getting sweaty. It's almost like Tai Chi. People underestimate Tai Chi. You know, to move that slowly and focused takes a lot of concentration. And some people, it takes a lot of anxiety because you're really giving up a lot of control during that as far as trying to right. control the speed and how fast you want to get it over with. So when you're doing this mindfulness walk, you're pretty much, like I say, you'll be very aware of your breathing, and you'll be very aware of your balance. You'll notice, you'll notice when you're not focusing because you'll find yourself getting off balance. And to be able to do this is like you pick up, you know, foot by foot. You don't sit there and when you lose your balance, put your foot down immediately. No, the object is still try to carry, 
carry on and bring that foot forth. Anyway, like I said, this is really works your balance and really helps the ankles. And a lot of people don't understand that a lot of injuries when it comes to knees and people falling down or knee injuries, back injuries, things like that, most of these injuries happen from the ground up. If you, usually if you have weak stability, you know, in the ankles and things like that, it's just going to just, it's the snowball effect. The only thing is the snowball tends to build up instead of coming down the hill here. So if your ankles are weak, right. how can you really expect your squat numbers to go up, your deadlift to be all that, your jerk numbers to go up or anything like that because you don't have that, that power from grounding to really get explosive. You know, the thing is now you end up depending on other things. You start trying to really over-exaggerate using your hips and you're popping your pelvis forward or really trying to fire up your glutes or trying to really use your legs. But the thing is, it's kind of like the, I was telling um, one of the folks in my class, you got to treat it like a video game. You know, when you have those fighting games, you have that, the power meter going on right there. And use that power meter kind of sits there, it kind of vibrates up and down in green. Well, that right there is pretty much right below where your ankles are when you're doing something like, just say, a jerk. So when you need to fire up and get that chest bump to really pop up, let's just say, 232 kilo bells here or 36 kilo bells where it's going, you're going to need that power. You know, you need to make sure that meter starts and fires up from that first bar of red and go all the way up, if that makes any sense to all the video game geeks out there. So the thing is, if you're trying to just power up from the legs up, you know, from your quads or your hips, then you're not going to really get as much power to fire that bell up from, and bump it off the chest the way you want to. And what ends up happening, you end up throwing your pelvis too hard forward and what you end up doing is probably hurting your lower back in the process because all that's shooting forward. And since you're not going to get a good chest bump, you're going to end up just doing a press. And now you're depending on two small muscles on your body, a.k.a. your delts and your, and your let's say, your biceps. So just say your shoulders and your arms here, you know, to, to move all that weight. Well, it's, it's not going to be the same. I really use the biggest muscles in my body to pop a weight overhead. And in order for me to fire up those big muscles, a.k.a. my quads, my glutes, my lats, you know, and my chest here, I have to start from something small as my ankles, <laughs> you know. So right. this is a great, like I said, a great technique to really build the strength and fluidity and just, like, make them very bouncy and springy as well. Springy is very, very detrimental. I mean, very, excuse me, very, very helpful when it comes to doing things like the jerks and push press and things like that. Yeah, I think, I think you make a good point about the kettlebell jerk also is that the, the better you get at it, the less carryover it has to the military press. And what I mean by that is yeah. people always say, well, when I, when I started doing kettlebell jerks, my, my military press grew. And most likely it's because you weren't doing a true kettlebell jerk yet. You were doing some right. kind of hybrid move where you were, like what you're saying, you were still pressing it out. You were getting a little bit of a leg drive and then pressing it out. Because I, I've seen, I've heard about some of the Russian lifters who can or two reps, 232 kilo bells, 100 times, you can barely press it once. And when people hear that, they're like, oh, that's crazy. And it's like, well, it's not really crazy because what's happening is they're, they're using the right muscle groups to get that exactly. weight overhead. You know, they're, they're, they're relaxing the upper body and letting the legs and the big muscle groups drive those bells overhead. So the better you get at that, it's a, it, the more it becomes a completely different exercise. On a superficial level, it looks very similar to a press, right? You're just putting bells overhead. Right. And one, one move, it's pretty much all lower body with the upper body going along for the ride, while on the other move, it's all upper body with the lower body just adding support, stability. Right. So it's an entirely different move. And that's why someone can get really good at pressing, and then they think, oh, okay, I'm a good presser, so I'll just automatically transfer that over to doing jerks. And no, they're going to be way too upper body dominant, just so used right. to, to firing that. While someone who's really good at jerks, 
he's going to be way too focused on being relaxed and lower body power to generate right. energy. And he's not going to be able to shut that off and just press with the upper body. So you, you get good at what you focus on is where I'm going. When, and thank that, you. That, 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 that's kind of one of those things that irritates me a lot, too, is when people talk about these kind of magical transfers, like, oh, I did this and then this improved. Well, most of the time, it's like, well, I quit deadlifting for a month because I was at a plateau. I just started doing heavy double kettlebell swings. And when I went back to deadlifting, I added 30, 40 pounds. It's like, you know why you added 30, 40 pounds? Probably because you were totally overtrained, and you finally gave your body a chance to go into super compensation, work on a different move, so you got a mental break, too. And then, yeah, maybe you learned some hip drive that carried over nicely to the deadlift and so forth. But, but you know, that's not going to add 40, 50 pounds to someone who's already a really good deadlifter. But – but maybe your, grip sucked, maybe your grip sucked ass before you started doing heavy kettlebell swings, and now you can actually get a good grip on the barbell to do those deadlifts now. Because maybe before, as soon as you try to pick it up, it felt like your freaking arms are going to rip out, and you just couldn't get a good grip on the bar. <laughs> that, that's definitely a good point, too, because I, actually I've been working on grip strength quite a bit. I've got this – there's these, these two different grippers out there. One's called Grip Force, which you can add to a barbell, and you actually have to crush the gripper to keep it in place. It's pretty yeah. cool. So it works on crushing grip strength. And the other one is, I forget the name of it, but it looks, like, it looks like a lacrosse ball. And you can attach it to a kettlebell handle. You can attach it to a barbell. Wow. And so you're squeezing this big ball while you're doing movements. And I've actually been doing different kinds of curls at the end of my workouts where I'll, I'll curl a 16-kilo kettlebell with this grip ball or I'll curl a barbell with these grippers. And I, and I do very strict curls because I'm not trying to win a curling competition. So I'm not going to do, do a hip drop. And, and dry hump the kettlebell bar or the kettlebell or the barbell to get it in place. You know, it's a strict, it's a strict curl really focused on engaging the forearms where you know, the forearms are completely pumped afterwards. And I definitely think this carried over nicely to deadlifts because usually when I would go up to five plates, I had the strength to do it, but you could feel the bar coming out of your hands. You could yeah. feel your fingers starting to pull apart. I didn't feel that at all last time. Like these two easy reps could have done two more. But the, the, the weak link was not my grip at any point. So, the, so grip work definitely makes a big point. A lot of times with the deadlift especially is that your, your grip is just not strong enough. So you have the full body power, but you're not getting it off the ground easily. Right. It's, it's coming out of your hand, and then that's a total confidence killer. When you're trying to rip a bar off the ground, and it's, you're, you're, <laughs> you haven't even reached knee level, and it's already coming to your fingers, and you can barely hold on to it, you're, you're not going to finish that lift. No, definitely. Yeah, another another technique that um, actually that we use in, in kettlebell sport, and something that I picked up from my coach Ken Blackburn, which he picked up from the Russians when they, and he and Steve and all those guys went over there. Another technique we like to use um, to help us with our grip is um, is um, glove snatches, and with the uh, glove snatches, you take something like a mason's glove. So you don't want to get something that's too slick. But you don't want to get those garden gloves with the little beads on or anything like that that's going to stick, you know, be real sticky. But get like a mason's glove. You can get them like at Home Depot or something like that. And what you do is you don't necessarily you don't use the weight that you would use in competition on say your main even if you don't compete. Let's just say you pretty much you can snatch. Let's just say your heaviest bell with good technique for amount of time. Let's just say you're using like a 24. What you'll do is drop down um, a couple of sizes, a couple of weights. So you'll get a 16 kilogram bell. And what you'll do is like put the mason gloves on. And what you do you will snatch. You know with that 16 kilogram bell and what you'll do is you'll do it somewhere in the range of spinning where you are usually can the program for me anywhere between like 16 to 18 reps a minute um so and pretty much as many as i can pump out 
um, let's just say in five minutes, and then I'll switch. And sometimes, like, even when I just really want to work my grip, I might go 12 minutes or something like that, especially if I drop weight even more. Let's say I drop down to 12 kilograms. Then I might do it for, like, 15 minutes or 16 minutes and split it up eight minutes each hand or whatever and then pump up the reps about 20, 22, about 22 reps a minute. So now what's really cool about doing this really helps your grip and because and, the thing is you will learn how to, first of all, learn how to relax your grip and only use it when it's necessary. And one of the biggest problems with snatch, we know people tend to get that monkey choking technique going on with the, with the handle, and they always want to give it the grip of death while they're going from the back swing, the acceleration pull, all the way up to the top. And what ends up happening, that bell flops over and bangs them on the wrist. So they don't really learn how to relax during that. And usually right. that comes from either just being taught poorly or it comes from just having a weak grip, and they're so insecure about the grip, they feel that as they're – dropping that bell back down on the snatch or actually bringing that bell up, they feel like they're going to lose it, so they give it the grip of death. Yeah. But what happens with the, the glove technique, it really teaches you how, first of all, it, it puts you in a very friendly arena during your snatches to really understand what your hands are doing with the insertion to the point where the handle is going to fall as far as the hook of your hand and also gives you a chance to not have to worry about that death grip so much because you're working with a lighter weight. So it's not like it's so heavy that you're going to lose it while you're having these gloves on. But anyway, you do enough of these things. You program them into your programming, let's just say, three times a week, you know, and, of course, not necessarily back-to-back. You will see great improvements in your, your grip strength and definitely in your kettlebell snatching technique. But it will have a little carryover when you go over to something like deadlifting as well because you'll pretty much know, you know, when to ignite that grip. When you need. Sometimes people in deadlift, they give it a tight grip before they even pull the bar off the floor. Right, right, right. they like, i got to squeeze, got to yeah. squeeze now. Or are, are they are they wasting other warm up sets, right? All your warm up sets, you're squeezing the pulp out of it. You have one plate on each side and you're squeezing the pulp <laughs> out of it. It's like, look, man, save it for when you need it. Okay. Yeah, Go through exactly. the motion, get ready. Exactly. Yeah, I mean I don't even part I don't even start putting chalk in the bar until I start getting into my heavy sets. Right. Because I don't I don't wanna I don't I don't, I don't want my hands to tear before I get to the heavy sets. But also, I don't want to be overly reliant on that either. So I just go through my warm-up sets, getting my – warm-up sets to me are more confidence builders with deadlifting. But right. Just, because, because it's a daunting task to just walk in the gym and then have loaded up to your max set for the day and then just go rip that off the ground. So sometimes you just want to have those confidence builders. So you, you get into the groove. You put one plate each side. Like, okay, that feels light. Two plates each side. Oh, okay, that feels light. Three, that feels light. Put a quarter on each side. Oh, that feels good. You're like, okay, now I'm ready to kill it. Now I'm ready to shock up and use the death grip and just crush it all the way through. Right. So, I mean, it's, so it's similar to that. And also, like what you're saying about relaxation with different moves, too, is, I mean, I do that with box jumps because what I was finding is it, I was tensing up way too much before I right. would do a box jump. I would load up, tense up, and then you're barely getting over the box. You're like, what are you doing? And you're wasting energy, too. This goes back to the earlier point about energy dissipation. It's like I'm using way more energy, and it's actually counterproductive. But when I do box jumps now, I really relax the body. Just stay completely relaxed and then focus on raising your knees to your chin. That, those are the exactly. two things I think of. I go, I'm going to stay completely relaxed. And then it's not about jumping up as high as possible. It's about bringing your knees up as high as possible. So I'm going yeah, to jump Yeah, I tell my up. folks that. I'm like, think about a tuck jump. This is all of it. Yeah, exactly. Tuck jump. exactly. That's like, how you should no. land. When you land in that tuck position where you're basically your, your, your knees are right next to your face, then you know you did it right. Well, well many, many people are trying to jump up onto a box and land in a standing position. It's like, well, Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get very high, and, and you're not going to get very far with it. 
You're going to get injured what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. That skin is going to find that corner, and it's not going to feel great. Trust me. (laughs) Not fun at all. So, I mean, that, that, it's a pretty cool skill. I mean, some people know how to generate power from tension, right? They really tighten up when they press a kettlebell or a barbell. But it's also an equally important skill set to have the ability to generate high power from a relaxed position. And that's one thing that I learned how to do after working with people like Ken and uh, Valeri Federico and so forth is start trying kettlebell pressing from a completely relaxed position. And now I can right. press a 40-kilo kettlebell no problem without any tension whatsoever. I completely relax in the body. I just let the bell drop, pop it overhead, stay with it. And it, it's, it's a pretty cool sensation because now you can do both. You can generate high power from tension, which is great for a few seconds, but it's not gonna, you're not going to last long doing that. And then you can also generate power from a relaxed state, which you'll be able to sustain that performance for a much longer duration. Yeah. I mean, especially like once you, even on overhead pressing, once you get into that lockout, there's no need to be tense anymore. My thing is right. if you're really activating the lats the way you're supposed to, you don't have to. Your arms can actually, you can stay locked out with your arms relaxed. You don't have to sit there and give it a crush grip. You don't want to sit there and bring all this blood to your forearms or anything like that. Utilize those lats, you know, and when you, when you pretty much sink those lats and bring them toward, you know, kind of pull them towards your spine, even though they're not going to actually go toward the spine, when you bring them down and in, then you'll realize that you can hold that weight overhead with no problem. Right. You know, and then just, boom, just go with the flow. When you drop it back down, kind of use your body as a shock, a shock absorber and just right. give, do a little bit of a dip as it comes down. And then you go back into, you know, your starting position right there. So it's a lot of, it's pretty much like fighting. It's pretty much like boxing, you know, or punching in MMA or any, or actually you shouldn't, even if you had a punch in life. It's not about being tense while you got your arms up and you're about to, like, you're thinking about hitting your opponent or whatever. I mean, you're relaxed, you're flowing, and then when you make contact, that's when it gets tense, and then you relax when right, you take exactly. your fist off their face or whatever body part. And another great technique that kind of carries over for grip strength is, you know, tire slams with the sledgehammer. And right. what I often see a lot of people doing is, like, they'll sit there and they'll give that sledgehammer this really tight grip the entire time, and as they're swinging it around, they're still tense, 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 and then when they hit the tire the grip lets up, and the, the hammer's flopping all over the place like a wet fish. So it really should be the opposite way around. What you want to do is like, yeah, hold on to it. But as you're swinging it around, again, you use, when you swing back, you're using those lats again. So, and as you come up, rise up, just like you were doing a jerk. Rise up with the sledgehammer. So that kind of takes away some of the momentum. So you flow with it. You stick with your hand relaxed. But then when you come down, as soon as you make contact with the tire, that's when you grip. But as soon as it makes contact and it's landed, release your grip. And right. you'll see that that sledgehammer won't flop around as much. And another thing is, so I see so many people kind of bending over and taking it for the team when they bring that hammer down on the tire. And it's like, an like here I am, take me. <laughs> My thing is, squat down when you, when you bring that sledgehammer down. When the hammer comes down, you should be squatting, you should be sitting back and not bent over. And look, you know, looking like all the hiding behind you or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, man. Scary character, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, it's totally true. It's totally true, and it, it, it goes back to what, what I'm talking about with, with all this dissipation, where you're just where you, you you don't have energy, not because you're not taking in enough, you're just wasting too much. You're wasting it on work that's not being done efficiently. You're working out six times when you could have done just as much for your progress in three or four at the most. You're putting in two-hour sessions each time when you could have done it in 45 minutes and, and actually gotten better results. Right. It's just, I mean, this, this, 
sometimes it's, it's just because you have more time doesn't mean you should actually use it. Just like with business, sometimes it's because you have the money to burn doesn't mean that you should do it. So right. It's, it's, you have to know when to do what. But a lot of times, the ability to accumulate energy is like the same way you would accumulate wealth. It's like you, you control expenditures. You don't just blow indiscriminately and then go, whoa, what happened every time the credit card came in? People do that all the time, though, with their energy reserves. They just blow it unnecessarily, and then they're wondering why they don't have any energy. And right. a lot of times, because they're doing too much, it's just that they're not doing what they're doing efficiently. And they, they learn how to get better at things and prioritize the things. They'll have a much bigger surplus of energy. Right. Oh, it's funny, man. Um, I'm looking over on the, the LLA podcast um, archives page. And there was actually a question addressed to you. Sometimes it's just better to go ahead and just bring these questions up during the podcast um, than actually go into that actual page. And uh, so I definitely want to address this. Um, it's actually from Andrew. Um, and Andrew was asking, this was addressed to you. So basically saying that, um, you know, that he's enjoying our podcast. And that, but he was keen to ask you, Mike, if you can outline what changes you have made to your kettlebell techniques since your size and strength DVD. You know, for example, switching to pro-grade bells and the way you press now. And, um, and also... Oh, yeah, and what kettlebell exercises you no longer perform and why? So, because he's yeah, saying that reading your various yeah. training programs that he can see, you know, that, that you've integrated a lot more different type training methods, you know, and just pretty much you just want to see what kind of improvements, you know, you've noticed with that, especially for, like, um, and anything else. I guess the second part of the question is, you know, what um, recommendations for, like, the over 40, 40-year-old training that you can give out there. So, yeah, man, go yeah, you know, for over 40, it's, just, it's going to be the same way I trained myself when I was in my 30s or 20s. I'm going to be 42, and I, I still train the same way. I just, I just make a point of really getting rid of non-essentials. You just, you just focus right. on the big movements and anything where you're wondering whether it should be in the program or not, that's a good sign it doesn't need to be in it. Right. So, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you may go through a routine where you're just doing bench press, pull-ups, squat and deadlift, and that's it. Or with kettlebells, maybe you're doing pressing the pull and squatting motion and swings, and then that's it. The core is getting enough work by default. So you just, as, as you get older, you just have to prioritize stuff more. But, you know, honestly, 40 is not old. So when people always do, no. like, when people email me, they're like, oh, you know, I'm 44. I'm like, so what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Not 65, man. So, I mean, you right. get, over, get over this whole notion of age. And also, you can be 40 and biologically be in your 30s. And you can be 40 and biologically be in your 50s, depending on how well you take care of yourself. So, the, right. the real answer is how much mileage do you have? You know, a car that's 10 years old with low miles is going to be better than a, a brand-new car, which had, or, or wouldn't be brand-new with this many miles. Let's say the car is only a year old, but it has 100,000 miles on it. Right. So, just because something's been around longer, you they can have less mileage or more mileage depending on how you take care of yourself. But with those questions on kettlebell training, when I, when I did that size and strength DVD, this is around 2004, now I was really into the RKC style of training at that time, and I was only using kettlebells for weight training as well. I was just going through an experimentary phase where I didn't do any barbell work, very little, any, maybe once a year I'd go, see what, I'd go do some motion. But I was primarily just kettlebell training, and I was using a lot of the high-tension techniques, just squeezing right. down on the handles the whole time, power breathing on each rep. I don't, I don't use any of those techniques at all now because my, my goals now are not hypertrophy with kettlebells. So my goals now with kettlebells, I still like to press heavy, but I'm way more efficient. I'm way more fluid. I, I, even when I work on double 40-kilogram kettlebells, there's very little tension, maybe a little bit to get it going, and then it's fairly relaxed on the drop. It's fairly relaxed when I get the lockout. 
So now, now I've learned to be a lot more efficient. As, as I started working with people like Steve Cotter and Ken and yourself and Valerian, I, I incorporated a lot of those, those principles into my kettlebell training. When it comes to size and strength stuff, I, I prefer barbell work now. So that's heavy yeah. deadlifts, bench press, squat, et cetera. So, I mean, can you get bigger and stronger at kettlebells? You can. Is it the most effective way to get bigger and stronger? No. You're never going to get better than barbell work. But if you enjoy training with kettlebells and you don't want to join a gym or you don't have plates for a barbell in your home gym, then there you go. You work with what you have. And can you get bigger and stronger with kettlebells? Yes, but it's going to have limitations for obvious reasons, given that the kettlebells can only get so heavy. And in certain motions, certain exercises I don't do anymore, one would be like a kettlebell front squat. Because to me, the bells just don't get heavy enough where it's that effective. And some will say, oh, you know, look how hard it is to hold 248 kettlebells in place. And it's, it's more difficult because of the awkward nature of it. But the actual overall weight is still not that heavy where your legs are going to get that much work from it. Right, so, I mean, right. you, you, you take a guy who can front squat two 48-kilogram kettlebells, and if, he, if he's never done a barbell squat before, I doubt he'll be able to even squat three plates. And three plates is not a lot of weight for a barbell squat. So, I mean, nothing is going to get better. But bottom line is this. If you have the option where you can do a barbell squat, then there's no real reason to do a double kettlebell front squat for the purposes of size and strength. Now, for metabolic conditioning or something like that, that's fine. But for getting bigger and stronger, you're not going to beat the barbell squat. You don't try to. Barbell front squat's good, too, if you have the flexibility to, to secure it in the right peg. Yeah. But for most people, putting a bar on your back and using good technique, it, it's a time-tested exercise. And sometimes there's controversy where, like, oh, it's bad for this, it's bad for that. But look, if you have good technique and you're loading fine, that the, the weight distribution is going to be good for you. It's not, it's not going to jack up your spine and all these things unless you're using really jacked up form. And that, that means it's your technique that's the problem. But and, and other things with kettlebells, so the, I mean, the kettlebell motions that are, are still staples in my routine now, overhead pressing, of course, double swings, always do that. Renegade rows or even bent over rows with kettlebells I really like. Let's see, a double snatch, I definitely still do that quite a bit. And windmill Turkish get up, I throw in the mix from time to time. Not as much, and the reason why is that there's a lot of overlap with overhead motions with kettlebells, meaning that if I'm doing a lot of overhead pressing, I'm already getting a lot of overhead work. Now, if I throw a Turkish get up and windmill into the mix, that's quite a bit of overlap there. So I, I want to work my core without overlapping that overhead position. So right. instead of doing windmill or Turkish get up, I'll do... I'll do hanging leg raises or dragon flags or yonder sit-ups or ab wheel rollouts because now there isn't the same level of overlap and I can really engage those areas much more. And also I find that, I mean, if your overhead flexibility is good and your mobility is good, then I already have the benefits of doing the windmill. And me doing a lot more of that is not necessarily going to help improve anything. I already have it. Like I can do heavy windmills anytime I want at this point without practicing it often. I mean, I teach you at my workshops all the time, no problem. But when it comes to my actual workouts, I'll get a lot more for core work via dragon flags and ab wheel rollouts, especially standing ab wheel rollouts. Because right. I mean, if, you, if you can do really good dragon flags, you've got really good core strength. And you'll be able to do anything else you want to do, such as the Turkish get up windmill, et cetera, but not the other way around. I know plenty of people that are great at Turkish get up windmill. They couldn't do a dragon flag to save their life. They flop right <laughs> off that bench. I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen the dragon flag humble a lot of people, a lot of strong men and women who come through my courses or just people in general. They'll try doing dragon flags, and they're shocked how right. difficult they are. 
And for, for people who are not familiar, I'll describe it, but you really have to go take a look at it on YouTube or something to get and I, I have clips of me doing it on my Facebook page as well. But basically, you lie on a bench, you put your arms behind your head and secure your fingers in the bench behind your head. So you're going to be pulling in yourself into the bench while you raise your legs so that your body is perpendicular to the floor. And then you're just going to slowly lower yourself until your feet touch the bench and then raise yourself up, keeping your entire body in, in one straight line. That's the intent. So it's, it's a really intense midsection drill. Just lowering yourself under control is no right. joke. So no my attitude is, I mean, for, for core work, I'd rather do stuff like that than Turkish get-ups or windmills at this point. So I don't do those moves too much anymore. But the, but the major moves, such as overhead pressing, renegade row, double swings, those are always staples. And then I throw double snatches into the mix from time to time. But generally, when it comes for really heavy training, I'll, I'll use a barbell for implements like that. And then kettlebell training is more for conditioning at this point. And even pressing, I'm more focused on reps than, let's say, how much I can press once or twice. And so rather than the ability to press a 48 kilo once, I want to use a technique that allows me to press it eight, ten times or more with the least wear and tear. Because now it's my attitude about stuff like high tension is if you don't need to use it, then don't use it at all. And right. basically, your body automatically knows where, whether you need to use it or not. So in other words, if, if I pick up 135 off the ground, my body's not going to tense up at all because it doesn't need to. But if I go to pick up five plates, I don't have to think about, okay, make sure you tense up everything because it's, it's automatically <laughs> going to happen. The second you feel the bar in your hands, you're going to tighten up and, and do exactly what you need to. But the funny thing is, is eventually that's going to be a light weight for me, and I'm going to have to use less tension as a way to progress forward. So high tension stuff is great in the beginning when you don't have the control yet. But the more control you get, the more it's going to become an impediment. It's going to be like driving your car and hitting a brake at the same time and trying to go as fast <laughs> as possible. He's like what you were talking about with overhead pressing, tightening up your lat and all these things. The, in, that's like the, the worse your technique, the more important those little teaching cues become because it allows you to keep the bar or, or keep the bell in a straight line and have control. But over time, you find that you don't have to tense up anything anymore to take a heavy bell overhead. And it's like the better your technique gets, the less you have to rely on those things. Like for now, like the first time I ever pressed a 40-kilogram kettlebell, this was years ago, like 2003 or 2002, I had to really tense up to get that bell overhead once or twice. You know, now I can do it from a completely relaxed state for several reps without using any tension at all. And that's way less energy being wasted. So me using super high tension to get that, to get that kettlebell overhead once, that's going to be more energy wasted than the way I can press it now for several repetitions in a completely relaxed state. And then I think, I think the, 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 the happy medium where I think you're going to get the best performance, though, is not being totally relaxed or totally tense. It's going back and forth between the two when necessary. So like you may tense up to get the bell overhead, and then you completely relax when you lower it. You stay relaxed in the rack position, and then you tighten up before the next repetition like that. And then there's a clip of me doing that on YouTube where I'm, I'm pressing a 40-kilogram kettlebell 15 times, and there's no way I'm going to hit it 15 times if I'm tense the entire time. Right. At the same time, if I'm completely relaxed, I'm probably not going to hit it that many times either. You're just, you're just going to fall apart. So you're going back and forth between the two, relaxation and tension, which is a very important skill set, athletic skill set to have. So for those of you that train people, that's something you want to know how to do yourself and teach to others. 
Because you don't want to be in that tense state all the time, but you also don't want to be completely relaxed all the time. Like what you said about throwing a punch, you're relaxed, but when you hit the impact, you want to tighten up. You don't want to stay relaxed at that point of impact. Right. It's amazing, man, because that even beyond the athletic standpoint, that works even with business. It works with just your life in yeah. general. You got to yeah. know, you got to you have that ebb and flow, man. Everything's not going to always be just, just super duper intense. But you can't always be like the, the stereotypical tree-hugging, weed-smoking hippie and just everything's all mellow all the freaking time, too. You know, you're going to have to kind of like, there's some other, you've got a tool box full of other emotions that you could be utilizing right there. Can't always stay in mellow mode 100% and expect right. to really, I mean, I mean, to really get some things out of life. Just sitting there and letting things flow and like hoping it comes to you. <laughs> it's just not going to work that way. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I'm just going to sit here, man. You know, the you know, like we were talking about a few shows ago about the law of attraction. I'm a good person, man. Things are going to work out. I'm just going to sit here and wait. Yeah, I'm, you might as well wait for your life to get cut off because you're not making any money to pay your light bill. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's what I like about Robert Greene's work, our, our guest last week, is that it's all about brutal realities. Like in other words, yeah. the universe doesn't care whether you're a good or bad person in terms of those things. If you if a bad person uses the right strategy, he or she is going to achieve the goal, whether you like it or not. Hmm. So in other words, if some guy's a total jerk-off, but he uses a good training regimen and puts in the right technique, he's going to get a good result because the universe doesn't care whether he's a good or bad person in that particular context. So it's kind of like that for you as well. It's like you have to go out and get it. No one's going to get it for you. It's like what we were talking about before we got on today about how a lot of trainers, are, they feel uncomfortable promoting themselves. It's like, well, yeah. you might as well just quit right now because nobody is going to care more about whether your business is successful or not than you. And if someone does, there's something wrong with that picture. You know, no yeah. one should care more about my success than me. You know what I mean? Like you shouldn't be, like, like me talking to you specifically, sincerely, like you shouldn't be sitting around wondering about what I can do to improve my business more than me. You know? <laughs> and, by, and vice versa, like you're my friend and I want to see you successful, but if I'm thinking about your business more than you are, you know, there's something wrong with that. Picture because and you know, and that's and that's so wrong on so many levels, not just on my end, but you're like, why are you obsessed? With, why are you all up in my Kool Aid, man? Yeah, exactly. Why are you thinking about me at all? Like, you know? have some stuff to do, really? Come on, <laughs> this is getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you know? but, but it's kind of like everybody wants to be in front of the room doing the fun stuff, teaching the course, but when it comes to actually getting the room filled up, people are like, well, I don't, I don't want to come off this way, I don't want to do this. It's like, well, how do you think those people got there in front of the room? They didn't get there from you trying to be Mr. Humble guy. They got there from someone pushing some heavy-duty marketing. So, I mean, when, like, it or, like it or not, you know, that's a part of any successful business is promotion. And if you don't learn the game, then don't be, don't be irritated when you bomb and fail because it's, that's what you get, man. You've got to learn the game or you're going to suffer the consequences. Oh, yeah, man. And that's, that just kind of gets back to what we talked about earlier before the, you know, before the show. Just like, just really... You know, you got to learn how to be a salesman. Either you're gonna either you got to make a choice. If you have a business, or you're trying to you're trying to actually work for yourself here, you either have to decide you're gonna either be a salesman or you're gonna be a hungry dude. Okay, it's really it's gonna be one way or the other. If you're just gonna sit back and just think like, oh, you know, I, I just want to just I just want to show up, and you know, if they're there, then cool. If not, uh, I don't know. Then it's their fault. It's not their fault. I mean, it's not this is not field of dreams. I think we talked about this before. It's not a build it and they will come situation. You know, just like, well, I mean, there's a lot of things being built right here in my city. I pass by all the time. It's a lot of buildings, a lot of companies, whatever. But unless I really know 
you know what those companies are about. I'm passing by those buildings all the freaking It's just another building. And guess right. what? If no one really knows what you're about and what your training or what coaching or whatever you do with your business, what it's really about, you're just another person that has a business, and you'll probably you will be ignored, or they'll see you and just keep going because they have they have no interest because they don't know what it's about. So look, man, my dad told me this a long time ago, and I've heard it a million times: a closed mouth never gets fed. Okay, there's our quote of the week. Okay, so if you're not if you're not tooting your own horn, nobody's gonna hear your tune, dude. Nobody even knows what the song is. No, it's like the other day I was at this I was at this health conscious restaurant in town, and I saw a little flyer for some kettlebell instructor based here in Vegas, and mm-hmm. she's trying to teach some classes, and, and and the whole flyer was just her with credentials, right? RKC this, RKC that. So I'm looking at this, and I go, who the hell are you, though? Because you're not telling me anything about you and why right. I should come to you specifically. So all you're going to do in that situation is get someone to play the price shopping game. They're going to say, okay, I've got five different kettlebell instructors in town who look like they all have the same credentials, because that's all right. they're talking about is who they're certified by. And then so all I'm going to do now is see who the cheapest one is out of the five right. and, and go from there, or whoever can get to me first, you know, whatever someone's criterion is. But – Again, when someone comes to my website, I'm, not, I'm no longer Mr. Generic Kettlebell guy or Mr. Hormone, generic Hormone guy. It's, it's my specific system, just like with your new Warrior stuff. It's your specific system. Right. Ken Blackburn, his specific system. But anyone we know that's good, Charles Poliquin, whoever it is, they have a specific system that people associate with them. That's when you know you have something. So I don't want someone to come to my website and say, okay, this is what he charges. Let me go see what the other options are. Because right. – there, there aren't any other options. The only way you're going to learn what I teach is from me. Just like with my testosterone booster, it's like, okay, if that's what's in it, let me go find another option. Well, you're not going to find another option because I, that, that's a proprietary blend made specifically for me, meaning that that person can't make it for anyone else. You know, the company I got the Ross from, I made it an agreement where it's like, look, this is my formula. So someone else came and, like, go to my – came and – try to get one of my capsules and figure out the exact amount of each ingredient and go to the same manufacturer I have and get the same formula. They're, not, they're, they're going to have to go to some other manufacturer, some other raw material host, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's the point I'm talking about here is that you have to let people know about you specifically. That's what you're selling at the end of the day is yourself. So if, if no one really knows anything about you, then why, why are they going to pick you out of the options here? They're not. Yeah. And it's kind of like with my testosterone booster. Imagine if I just added that to my website and there's no information at all about what's in it or the benefits or how it works, why you should take it, what, uh, and whether I've taken it or not, what my results were, what other people's results were. What if I just put it up on my website and there was a price tag and that's it? Nobody would buy it. Nobody would oh, buy it. It would be like another Google ad just popped up, you know. Yeah, your exactly. There would be no reason. You, you don't even know why. If you you don't even know why you should buy it as a consumer. You may you may want to buy it. You may look at the bottle and be like, that looks cool, but you're not going to buy it because there's nothing there to tell you whether it's even a fit for you. So I mean, <laughs> me me writing good ad copy explaining every reason why you should take it is it gives you that information whether so you know right on the spot whether it's a good. Good move for you or not, right. and it's it, if I'm not excited about it, then why are you going to be excited about it? So when I write the ad copy, I should be like, man, I'm excited to get this out there. And if I'm not, then who is going to be about it? Exactly. I think that's another thing. It's like yeah, as business owners, you know, I think everyone that's listening that's actually that has a business or has a business trapped inside them right now, they need to ask themselves like, when's the last time you really got excited? What really 
gets you percolating? You know, what what gets you what gives you a stiffy when you think about it, other than <laughs> other than Bros.com <laughs> and the well, fans. I can tell you quite a few places. <laughs> <laughs> it was business-wise, you know, career-wise, and you know, just lifestyle-wise. Besides, you know, that the obvious. <laughs> you know, what gets you? What gets you going, man? And it's just like, and you know what? No, just sit there and try to think about it right now as we talk. You know, actually pull out a pen and paper. You know, that's, they still have that stuff. Pen, paper. You know, they still have that. <laughs> you can still use those. Well, heck, if you even want to use your phone, which my thing is, I like to use as many like different senses as possible. So I'd rather write stuff down before I even start trying to start typing things. But write it right. down, man. Like, you know, what what is it that gets you going? What is it that you effing rock at? Like, you know, like, dude, when I do this, I come alive. When I do this, folks pay attention. Because that's probably what you should be doing. And then look at what you're doing now and ask yourself, do people really pay attention when I do this? Does this actually make me want to get up and go do it every day? Not have to do it. There's a difference. Want right. to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's a difference between wanting something and having to do something. It's, it's, a, it's a big difference. So you yeah, gotta I, mean, I think people that, can get trapped if they don't. I think what happens is you start off, like, like we were talking with Robert last week, you start off and you're really excited about something, and then at some point there's that natural diminishing return. It just happens no matter what it is. And you're going, you know what, I'm just not that excited about doing this anymore, and you have to make a decision. Are you just going to keep doing it because it's easy money, because you've, you've built yourself up where it's, you have that turnkey operation where the money is just going to keep coming in, or you take the risk of shifting focus where you may take a temporary hit and you, you focus on a new challenge. And to me, it's, the, the obvious point is to go with option two. You've got to go with the new challenge because what, once you start getting to that point where you're not as excited about something as you used to, eventually that's going to get to the point where you can't even hold that back anymore where people taking the course or whatever it is, buying the video, are going to realize right away, wow, this guy, he doesn't seem anywhere near as excited as he used to be. Remember that old video? Remember that first video he did where he was totally excited? Look at him now. It looks like he, he could care less. <laughs> He's Eventually, like Ben Stein. He's like, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, 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 exactly. So, so, I mean, you have to have the courage to, to switch, switch gears and take that risk again. But what's funny is that you're, you're more willing to take risks when you're in that that building phase. It's like when you have, when you have a certain level of success, it makes you soft. And I've always read about this and never really thought about it until I started having a certain level of success. And then, and then it starts becoming like, oh, I don't want to do that because yeah. I'm going to have to work hard or I'm going to have to take this. You know, you start thinking like that. You've got that inner wuss in you. That's basically <laughs> that, 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 that people have all the time, but it can, it can happen to you even when you persevered initially. So you may tell that voice to shut up, and you get out there and crush it, and then all of a sudden it comes back again, and it's unexpected because yeah. <laughs> you're doing something you really like, and all of a sudden now you're not that excited about it, and you know you should switch gears, but you don't want to take the risk now. You're like, nah, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to one thing. It's like, it's, and the thing is, it's not like you have to like hate what you're doing. It's like, but this is what you have to ask yourself. Do I love what, I, what I'm doing right now, and, or am I in love with what I'm doing right now? Because right. that's, that's the difference. Okay, so you got to ask yourself, like, hey, man, we, we talked about this. It's just you can still love something and still, like, have some feelings for something or whatever, but are you in love with it? Like, I, I, this dude, I have to do this. I mean, that even comes down just with, with relationships. You gotta, I'm not saying you kick somebody to the curb when you don't feel like you're in love anymore, you know, especially if this, but you got to ask yourself, like, are you, are you there for the right reason? Okay, whether it's business or a relationship, are you there for the right reason now, or are you there because of guilt? You, do you feel like, or are you, or... Or is it for shame, like, well, I feel like I failed if I walk away from this. Well, right. you know, my thing is the real failure is that to continue to do it 
and then everyone says you now suck at it. <laughs> used to be yeah. when you used to be at the top of you know top of the food chain with this. Now it's like, dude, you suck ass, and why is this dude even relevant anymore? Now that right there is a failure when you just and you continue to beat that dead horse. Right. No, it's so true. But I mean, the, the flip side and the cool thing about success, though, is that you can every success gives you the opportunity to create another success. Yeah, exactly. Like, like what we talked about with Fifty Cent last week is that he got into the music business. And he got into the phase where the music industry was in turmoil, where, where performers are no longer making as much as they used to on record sales by any stretch of the imagination. So that, that, that whole industry is dying. So his attitude, though, was I'm going to sell as many records as possible anyway. I don't care if I make that much money off of it as a way to bring a lot of exposure to me so I'm known as a public figure. And then I'll have other opportunities in business, either sponsorships, and in his, his case, he got the smart water deal, which ended up being $100 million, you know, way more than yeah, he ever would have yeah, way more than he ever would have made selling records if that were his focus. So, it's a, so that's a very smart way to look at it. Instead of being like Metallica, where you're trying to kill off Napster and say, oh, we don't want you guys stealing our music, this and that. You know, they're all multimillionaires, and they're trying to get college students arrested for sharing music. <laughs> you know, those guys really sold out. I was, I was so disappointed with them during that whole phase. A much healthier phase was to do what someone like 50 Cent said. He says, you know what, there's no point trying to stop what can't be stopped. But I'm going to use this situation and turn it into a positive. I'm, going to be, I'm, I'm still going to be a successful recording artist. Maybe I have to tour more, but I'm going to get so much exposure that I'm going to get these other opportunities that allow me to create way more wealth than I would have had selling records. So it ends up being an actual positive. It's actually better to be in his situation as opposed to the old school method where you sold, whatever you made from selling records and that was it. Now, now someone like him is saying, who cares whether I make any sales there or not? I'm just going to get a lot of exposure and I'm going to use that success to build more success. So well, here's the thing. Yeah. I mean, 50, 50 understood the game. I mean, the, the difference between like them, like 50 and Metallica coming from that street and hip hop background, 50 understood yeah. how to utilize like guys like us, like myself when I was DJing, Guys like 50 during that time understood the value of the DJ and the mixtape. So a lot of these guys would come and do mixtape with DJs or, you know, and they'll provide their own mixtape for us to just pass out and give, a, give them out and everything and promo and just to get that word out there and use that grassroots marketing. These guys had street teams beyond the street teams that were put together by the record labels they were signed to. So they used what most artists did back in the day was utilize the DJ to be, let him be your biggest, like, promo guy. Let him right. get the word out there because guess what? He's already a tastemaker. He's one of those guys that already has a following. DJs have that following already. So it's like, hey, dude, you know, you think you can get this, 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 and this. And trust me, these guys put in the work by making the music, and they're out there also hustling and peddling and putting the, the mixtapes out there. So the DJ puts a mixtape together. Not only is he passing out his mixtape or selling his mixtape or whatever, that artist is also out there peddling. So it comes back to what we are talking, talking about, you know, putting together like, you know, doing, having strategic partnerships like with workshops or something like that. It wasn't like one guy is like, hey, let's, let's work together on this, and then the guy with the following or the bigger following is doing all the work while the other guy sits back and chills. You know, it's like in the game of hip-hop, they understood like, hey, this is a strategic partnership. We're going to come out of this together, and guess what? I mean, you even have people – at the end of the day, that helped promote an artist, blow him up, and it, it did wonders for their career. Take, for instance, Mr. C, a good friend of mine. You know, Mr. C, 
originally was known as the DJ for Big Daddy Kane, if anybody that's in the old school hip-hop. Yeah, sure. You know, then Mr. C, you know, for a while, you know, people always wondered what happened to these guys. When Mr. C started working for record labels. He and I worked together for Mercury Records for a while there. But Mr. C was still, you know, out there finding talent because he still had his ear to the street. He was still DJing. He's still doing clubs and doing mixtapes and things like that. It was Mr. C that discovered the Notorious B.I.G., okay? And it was through him. He's the one that brought Biggie to someone like Puffy. And, okay, look, what, look how that turned out. Well, yeah. it still did great things for Mr. C's career. Still very behind the scenes, but still well-known on the East Coast, well-known in the hip-hop world. But, you know, he's very instrumental in bringing probably one of the greatest rappers of all time to the forefront. If it wasn't for him, I mean, who knows by the time we were hurt. Now, trust me, Biggie had that drive as well as an artist to hustle and get himself out there. But, hey, man, right place, right time. Here's Mr. C. Here's a guy with his ear to the street. Here's a guy that has a following. And here's a guy that had the credentials and the trust of these big label executives like Puffy. And it's like, okay, I want to check this guy out. Let me, you know, who is this guy? Let me check him out. Boom, I got to have him because they trusted this guy. So there was a strategic partnership right there, and it worked out for so many people just through that. And it started from that grassroots level. And somebody, each person's doing their part to make it happen. And right. that's how it should be with a strategic partnership, partnership when you're working with someone. Yeah. Everyone needs to pull their weight at what they're great at, you know, and make it happen. So it's like, okay, let's just say you don't have the biggest email list in the world. And let's just say, for example, let's say with you, Mike, let's say you got a very big list. Let's say you're doing a workshop with someone who doesn't have such a big list. But guess what? There are other ways you can help promote this beyond just getting the emails out there or something like that. It's like right. this. If, it, if I'm coming to your hometown, if Mike's coming to my hometown to do a workshop, then I'm putting in some footwork. I'm not so focused on the emails. I'm putting in footwork. I'm getting people who come through my door every day, you know, and talking to them. People who are a little bit local, I'm going to reach out to them. And then, hey, you think you guys, you know, would be interested in this? What about your folks? So you've got to find a way. So guess what? I'm good at talking. Yeah, you guys, if you haven't noticed yet. <laughs> so I'd rather get on the phone and do, do the talking instead of sending out emails all the time. Right. You know, so you've got to find, like, okay, what are your strengths and how can your strengths benefit this strategic partnership? That's what makes the partnership strategic. Don't just sit there on your ass and wait for one person to do all the work and you take credit for it. You know, we talked about that last week with Robert. You know, it's one of those, yeah. one of those 48 laws right there, man. Yeah, and, one of the 48 laws that it was like uh, take people for take credit for other people's work. But my attitude is that, you know, if you do that, you're going to have a lot of people pissed off at you and they're not going to want to work with you again. So, yeah, you're going to have less work. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's what happens to me. Like when I, from, when I do workshops with other people where I end up having to pick up the slack and then pull up the event, and I've had people who are like, oh, man, that was great working together. I was like, yeah, for you, not for me. And that's why we're not going to be working together again, you know, <laughs> because, it, it, because it makes you feel – you, you can't help but feel a certain level of resentment. Is yeah. that you, because people attending the course, they don't know that. You know, they don't know all the extra work that you may have put in the scene, and, and other people may have just showed up at the course and didn't do jack. And right. then the, the, the people that didn't do jack are thinking, oh, yeah, this is great, man. I'm glad I met Mike. Let's see if we can – let's see how many workshops I can get out of him. I was like, well, I'm not a sucker. I'm not a chump. You're not going to get you – know, you, you, <laughs> you may be able to pull the strings one time, but I'm not going to work with you again. You know, we're done. You know, we're finished. Because my attitude is, it's like, look, well, if I can do a workshop on my own – because I do everything on my own from write the ad copies to take the registration. So if I do it on my own – and I get 20 people, or if I do it with you, and I still get 20 people, then why should I do it with you? You know, do you have, you have to make yourself like an essential part of the equation. Like when, when, like when I've had people that are not big names teach at some of my events as uh, people that are friends of mine, like let's say I just want to help them out a little bit. 
And they, they, didn't, they didn't value the opportunity as much as they should have. But what I mean by that is they should have come in and said, you know what? No one knows me showing up at this event, but they're going to remember me. They're going right. to leave the course going, man, I came to see Mike, and he was awesome. But that other guy was badass, man. I hope he has him at every event. Or I'm like, oh, when, when that guy starts doing some stuff on his own, I'm definitely going. Kind of like the whole opening up band syndrome, right? You're, you're, right. you're the opening up, like the Chromex, one of my favorite bands growing up. A lot, of, a lot of big bands used to hate having them open up for them because they knew that they would destroy. They would do such a good job that they would win over audiences where audiences who were initially, initially like, get off the stage, we came in to see this person, were right. like, oh, man, you guys are done. Who are we even seeing again now? We don't even remember who the headliner is. You know, that's what you should do when you have an opportunity like that. You, you, you want to make a statement where you're remembered. But I see very few people who did that, and the reason is is because they don't value the opportunity because they didn't put anything in themselves. They didn't right. take any risks. They didn't do any marketing. They just showed up and did the fun part. The fun part is teaching. And that's the part everybody likes to do. You get in front of the room. Everybody's giving you their full attention. Everyone's having a good time. Everyone's clapping for you. You know, it's just it's this really nice, warm experience. You know, I enjoy it too. But I also do all the stuff behind the scenes, and so do you. So I mean, it, it, it's kind of a different experience when you know what it takes to pull off something. And someone who just walks in the room and just had, just goes for the fun part and then <laughs> they're not and, that, and that's Grover and Rabia giving me their he just that's yeah Grover shows an example what these people do they just show up they, they start barking really loud and then you know they you know they may get a nice little rub or pat on the head and then they go back to what they were doing <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like that that's like my backward backup crew there giving me their support. <laughs> But, but what's cool about success is that, for example, I mean, like, like, for example, with me, I started off just being a kettlebell guy, and I was successful in that. And then I, I, I used that success to become successful in other interests of mine, like the hormone right. optimization. And, you know, now I've used that to create my own supplement line. And it, it's all worked out very nicely. So that's just an example, another example of what I'm talking about, of, of how success can breed more success, but only as long as you're willing to stay innovative, think outside the box, take on new challenges, new risks. Because right. many people will put these own limitations on themselves. They'll say, well, I'm a kettlebell guy, so I can't write a book like Live Life Aggressively because nobody expects me to write a book like that. Or, oh, I can't come out with my own supplement line because who am I to do that? It's like, well, who are you not? To do? You're not. If, you know, if it's a genuine interest of yours, that's enough. And right. the bottom line is, if, if the stuff is good, that's, that's, then, then, then the battle is half won there. Like that's the first thing, is to make sure you actually have something high quality. And if people know who you are, then it's just, a, it's, just, it's just a matter of getting the message in a way that makes sense to those people while you're pursuing that end. You know, right. if I got into something, if I came out with a video on how to do the tango, that's not going to make sense to my audience. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, dude. I just had <laughs> the crazy visualization of you with some tight-ass black pants and, like, shiny patent leather shoe, dress shoes and, and with a black shirt buttoned out halfway with a rose in your mouth. Totally just messed me up, man. <laughs> you know, I might be damn good at it, but it's not going to make sense to my audience while I'm doing it. So that's an example right there is that you kind of have to let people know what you're doing. Like some, some of my, some, <laughs> no, I can't, dude, I, I can't get over the ruffled sleeves right now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. No, but someone like uh, 50 Cent is an example. The guy's really into working out. So he came out with a book with some other trainers on how to work out. Now, 
you know, whether the book is good or not, who knows? But the point is, is that it, it actually makes sense for him to do that, though, because a lot of people look at him and go, oh, I wonder what he does to work out. He's ripped and so forth. You know, LL Cool J did the same LL, thing. Yeah. So it makes sense for those guys to put out products like that. So that's, yeah. even though it's not completely in line with their initial brand, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it or that they won't be successful doing it. Yeah, definitely. Cool, man. <laughs> so, tell you what, oh, you know what? Uh, one last thing before we head off, man. Just our our recap. I, I I wanted to talk about the movie The Butler, but we'll talk about that next week, man. Hopefully, okay. if people haven't had a chance to see it, go see it. So definitely, you'll see what we're talking about here. But uh, there's a lot of like great lessons in that beyond just civil rights or anything like that. There is this actual story here. It's not just a history lesson going on here. So I definitely encourage everyone, no matter who you are, where you are, your background, your culture, you will find a lot of greatness in this movie and all i gotta say is forrest whitaker that's all you need to know and you know forrest whitaker is never going to do a half-assed job on any movie once again this dude shines like i mean it's it's ridiculous how great this dude is as an actor remember remember forrest whitaker as edm me i mean i mean no this it's that type of performance yeah it's that type of performance in fact you know critics even saying this is even better than the last king of scotland as far as the performance right now so it's, it's well, like there's a lot that. here. I mean, there's everything here from just a – we were kind of talking about this with Robert last week. You know, people pretty much taking on the dreams of others. Like, you know, you have children who are having their, their lives, you know, being imposed upon by their parents. Their parents right, don't live right. through them. And, you yeah. know, there's that friction right there. And I think all of us can agree and all of us can find a little bit of ourselves in this part of the story. And right. this is what you're really going to see in this movie. It's this, it's this conflict of one person – coming from one background and then one person who through that other person's like life and experiences have opened doors to make this other person's life a little bit better. This other, this other person now has the freedom to be a little bit more rebellious, a little bit more outgoing and just a little bit more, take more chances and how those things conflict with each other. And we see a lot of that in this industry. There are people who've opened doors. That's the reason why you saw that flyer you know, from this kettlebell instructor with all this stuff listed, blah, blah. Unfortunately, she just went about it the wrong way. But there's been people like yourself who in the early days when nobody was even trying, nobody, back then a lot of people wouldn't even dare put a flyer about a kettlebell course or class or something like that. And back then, because they were like, well, who's going to come to this? It's because of, you know, folks like yourself that have opened those doors from back then when no one else would. That so, this, this market is so oversaturated <laughs> with kettlebell instructors and kettlebell classes and kettlebell courses and kettlebell certifications. And so well, that, that's now, the thing about people, man. Like one, one, nobody wants to be the first one, right? But when, but when anyone shows that anything can be viable, it becomes a feeding frenzy. Yeah. I mean, you don't have a lot of time to capitalize on that before it becomes a feeding frenzy. And then that's why it's, it's, it's like you, you want to keep – developing your skill set to the point where it's not easy for the masses to just copycat you. Right. And that, that's another way to stay relevant and also as a way to just being, just avoid getting just washed out or drowned out by competition is that you keep refining your skill set. So it's like, okay, someone else just started teaching kettlebells. Well, that doesn't really compare to someone who's been doing it like you or me for over a decade. I mean, come on. So not, not only that, but actually working on improving your skill set over a decade, not repeating the same thing every year for 10 years, but constantly defining stuff, having worked with thousands of people. So you know, people need to know that when you promote yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to get washed up. Otherwise, you're just going to be another flyer on the wall. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely got to keep, like, keep advancing and just like, take it to the next level. And you'll see that in this movie. So you'll see 
the situation Not where the cool. son, you know, where the son pretty much, he could have just stayed stuck where he was. But he found ways to keep advancing and keep taking the things that he, you know, those, he had those experiences that were offered to him through the efforts of his father who plays the butler, who is Forrest Whitaker in this movie. And, and he was able to, like, take things to another level to actually create some changes, some improvement in things or whatever, and then come back full circle to where it did eventually benefit their relationship in a different way. So it's not something that's super sappy like that, but I mean, there are some, and trust me, there are a lot of very uncomfortable scenes in this movie. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. There's going to be some times where you're either going to feel like, oh, wow, you, th- that actually happened, or it's going to be some things that bring back some memories depending on what culture you grew up in or whatever. And there's going to be some situations where you probably say to yourself, oh, hell no, I can, that could never have been me. Well, it's because of the overlying tone of what I'm saying here. It's a reason why you're in a position where you can sit back and say, oh, hell no, I could never have done that, <laughs> or it couldn't yeah. be me. Because yeah. somebody did. Somebody did go through that in order for, you, for it to happen for you. And guess what? It's no different than a child with his parents. There's a lot of things our parents did or went through or tolerated that none of us probably like, oh, F that. You, you couldn't dare talk to me that way or do this, this, and this. But it's because of that, what our parents went through, that we can't say that or whatever. So, like I said, there's a big lesson here. And like I said, there's going to be some very uncomfortable things going on. But I think that's where, but it's going to be a lot of great things. And then you're like, oh, man. You know, so. Check it out. You know, the movie, is The Butler. I got to give it up to Lee Daniels, man. This dude comes out with a lot of great stuff. I mean, from Precious to this. Um, and, I mean, oh, man, Red Wings. A lot of these movies that kind of get slept on or whatever, but it's, it's art. It's kind of like what Hollywood is really missing right now. So it's just like it's well-thought-out stories with a, putting together a great cast, but not just for the sake of putting together a great cast to get right. people in and spend money. The cool thing is that like, you have all these high-level actors and rich people here in this movie who took next to nothing for salary just to do this because they believe that much in the script. I mean, pretty much, I mean, you're talking about Oprah, who pretty much is, <laughs> she can pretty much buy the world if she feels like it. You know, <laughs> so you've got Oscar, you know, Oscar Wins, you got like Cuba, you know, Cuba Gooding Jr. in the movie. you got Forrest Whitaker. A lot of them all took no money, really, to do this movie. So I think that says a lot about the content and, you know, the creativity in the script when someone does that, when they, that's, that's a belief system. And that's what we've been talking about through this whole show, man. People bought in those guys and ladies, they bought into Lee Daniels. So my thing is when you really are good at what you're doing, you put in the work and trust me, Lee Daniels put in the work. When you put in the work and you are not afraid to put yourself out there and take those risks, you know, man, people are going to, they're going to pay attention and they're going to buy into you. Whether you're a kettlebell instructor, whether you are just a, a, a different type of small business owner, whatever. So don't sell yourself short if you've got something there that you're truly passionate about. And, hey, man, pull the trigger like we were talking about last week. Just pull the freaking trigger, you know, and let it off when people pay attention, man. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how I want to end this one. This yeah, show. exactly. And I'll just, I'll just, just put, a, put a big period at the end of that, is, or just one more exclamation point, rather, is that one of the 33 strategies of war that I've been listening to talks about how you don't you know, take action before you think you're ready to. Right. And that, that's a really good way to look at it, too, is that people, because you're never, you're, you, you're never going to feel like you're ready to go. So that's why you want to take action. Like, you know what, I'm not, I don't know if I'm quite ready to go, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because you're, I, I promise you, you're never going to get to the point where you feel, okay, I'm finally ready to do this now, ever. You've got to jump in there, man, and figure it out as you go along. There's, yep. there's, there's no way around it. There's no roadmap you can follow where someone's going to show you how to avoid every pitfall 
on your way to success. And honestly, you don't want to avoid those pitfalls. That's where all the growth opportunities come. It sounds, yeah. it sounds cheesy to hear that like from, for when you're actually going through it. I mean, it's the last thing you want to hear when you're going through hardships is for someone to tell you, oh, you know what? Just enjoy the moment. <laughs> you know, enjoy those hardships. You'll, you'll look back and appreciate having to go through them. But you know, trust me, you will. You will. So, I mean, life's about accumulating really interesting experiences. That's what I often think. I mean, I, I was just thinking about the last two years. And, I mean, I've been all over the world, South Africa, Dubai, Australia. I've been to all these interesting places meeting really cool people. And then, and I, and I, and I don't want to, I'm not looking down on people that don't have the opportunity to do that. But just the other day, I was walking my dog and I heard a lady who lives in the neighborhood just complaining about her job and her coworkers. And, I, and I've heard that complaint on and off for years. You know, like every time I walk by, it's the same thing. And I'm thinking, man, I was like, has anything changed at all in your life at all? I think about the last two years for me, and I've heard this same complaint for two years. Obviously, nothing has changed in the last two years for this individual. And I'm like, that, that's not the way you want to live your life, man. You want to accumulate some really interesting experiences because that's going to mean a lot more than just material goods and stuff like that that's going to end up at a yard sale somewhere. You know, right. Those, those, those really uh, – like those those experiences that you'll never forget. I mean, those are priceless. You want to. That's what life's about in a lot of ways. Accumulating those really interesting experiences. Hey man, I posted it on I posted it on my my coaching page the other day. Um, it was one of my new warrior thoughts. So my, in order to like be truly successful, you have to become an experience hoarder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so true, man. It's so true. You should have so many experiences where like where someone. Like, you haven't seen someone in a while, they're like, hey, what have you been up to? And then, like, how much like, time well, do you have? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you just start blurting it out, and they're like, oh, <laughs> shit. And like, an hour later, it's like, yeah, then I did this, and I did this, and I did this. I just came out with this, and just did that, and so forth. And, and that's cool, man. When I meet people like that, like, if someone I haven't seen in a while, I'm like, hey, what have you been up to? And I'm used to most people saying nothing or stable, stable, and I hate that response. <laughs> but every once in a while, you'll talk to someone who's like, yeah, I just finished a book, or I just launched a new company, or... You know, my wife and I went to Costa Rica for three months, and I'm like, wow, cool, man. I was like, that sounds like you've been doing some really interesting stuff. So, you know, be that person. Be that person so when someone asks you what you've been up to, you have a lot more to say than same old, same old, or, oh, uh, I, just, I, just started a, I just started a new MLM uh, opportunity. You know? Let me, <laughs> let me tell you about my company. How much time do you have, Mike? I want to talk about this great opportunity. It's oh, always, Jesus. No, no, it's, always, it's always like this. Do you use soap? Let me tell you about my company. We got so. Do you do your own laundry? Let me tell you about my company. We got our own laundry detergent. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll save that one for another subject, man. That, that's a that, that's a fun one too. So what you got coming up, man? Well, let's see. I got New York City in a couple of weeks. The last U.S. course of the year, and most likely, yeah, last U.S. course period. Honestly, you know, I've, I've said this many times, and people probably won't believe it until they see it. But when they when they see my workshop schedule of zero for next year, it's going to kind of sink in that I wasn't just joking around. But, uh, yeah, New York City in September, U.K. in October, Dublin in October, and that's it for this year. And then, like I said, I may do some international courses maybe a year after next because I, I like teaching overseas, and there's still a couple of places I'd like to go to that I haven't taught at. But I'm definitely not teaching anything anytime soon once I'm done with these courses. I'm taking a long break. I'm going to focus on other things like more of my own research, writing, designing my supplements, building out my supplement company, our podcast, which I'm having a blast doing. So it's like, it's like what we said, man. You, you fo- focus on the things that excite you and don't have the courage to let go of certain things to pursue that. So that, that's what's going on with me. And then, folks, use LLA to get 10% off any supplement I carry. How about yourself? Oh, man, actually um – 
getting ready to pull the trigger on the project that I've been kind of working on behind the scenes. Um, cool. Yeah, so since, like I said, we have the podcast going on right now, and I've pretty much cut my workshop schedule pretty much down to nothing. I know there are a couple things that will be coming up where I'll be teaching a workshop, but it's part of another, it's part of other big events. So, so it just kind of makes sense because I'm already going to be there for it. But as right. far as like just doing one-off stuff, I'm, I'm, at this point I'm done because right now I'm so focused on this podcast. And also um, I'm working on, and it should be ready to launch soon, so I'll go ahead and talk about it. I'm one of those people that hate just even bringing up anything so I know it's going to happen or right. it's about to happen. So um, I'm putting together my metabolism rehab coaching um, program. So oh, that will cool. be strictly online, and which, I mean, it will involve, like, Teleseminars. I mean, so we'll we'll do coaching online. We'll be doing it via phone as well. There's also it's going to include the software program that I've been working on with someone for a while now. That I told you about with the weight management course and all that. So it's just basically a way to people to take control of really learn how to take their health in their own hands and not just hand it over to people all the time. Hand it over to the media, to the magazines, hand it over to the infomercials or anything like that. It's about really understanding like, you know, what's going on with your metabolism and, and how right. your body works with certain foods and not just a certain diet per se. You know, my thing is when you really start learning the foundation of how all this stuff works and it's done in a fun way and through various media. So, I mean, it'll include audio, video, PDFs, you know, even at the end of each, um, in, at, the, at the end of each, section, you know, before you move on to the next one, you know, you'll take a little quiz. So you just make sure you can just reiterate all the info that you, you know, you, that you got from that section right there. And therefore you'll also be a more informed consumer. So when you ready to go out and get supplements or you're going to go join a fitness class or, or a gym or hire a trainer, you're more informed and you can bring more to the conversation about what you really want and what you, you know, what you desire for your goals right there. Instead of just kind of leaving it to chance or letting them impose their will upon you and just you know, right. taking more money out of your pocket. And you'll be able to save a lot more money and stop wasting time buying BS products that have nothing to do with you, you know, or hiring people that don't have your best interest at heart. So, and the thing is, this is all self-paced. It'll be on you. And, and the cool thing is, it's not just like, oh, you're going to just get a software program done. Like, no, we're going to, I'm going to be with you. We're going to, we're going to talk and meet and meet up online and talk from there. So therefore there's support that goes with this tire. That's why it's a coaching program. So I'm very excited about that. I always want to do more coaching programs, but I just had to make sure that whenever I did one, it had to make sense for not only the person on the other end that will be joining it, registering for it, but it has to make sense for me as well, and it has to be fun. You know, right. it has to be something where they're going to get a lot out of it, you know, where I can be in a position to really over-deliver, and they won't care about, you know, oh, it's, you know, this price point of this or time or this, that, and the other. It's like, dude, I got a lot out of this course. So, you know, no different than the courses that we, t- we teach in person. You know, we, we yeah. over-deliver. We, to the yeah, point exactly. where they're, when they're feeling like they've robbed us, and they're like, dude, y'all are not charging enough. <laughs> you know, so and that's, that's, always a good, that's always a good feeling for a customer, you know, when they feel like, dude, can I just pitch in a little bit more or whatever? But, hey. And that's, that's why I'm very excited about this and just kind of been working on it behind the scenes before I even really start talking about it. Um, so, and as the show goes on, you know, I'll, in the next week, next, in the coming weeks, I'll really get into, like, when it will be available and, and all that comes with it. So almost there, though, right now. So really excited about that. And like I said, just looking for other ways to keep the podcast growing, man, with everyone. So definitely, people, keep your feedback coming. Keep sending us those questions. And also just – it, your reviews. Go on iTunes, please give us a review over there. Um, honest feedback, we love it. If you got Stitcher, 
you know, hit us up over there as well. So we're there's so many ways to you know get this show and. Like yeah, if you, like, if you like the show, yeah. yeah I mean, I, we can't emphasize that enough because I'll get a lot of people sending me private praise. It's like, well, and I appreciate that, but you know what? Post that up on your Facebook page that you like the yeah. show. You know, retweet it on Twitter. Send yep. it out to your newsletter blast because, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you sending me the email saying you love the show, but it's going to do a lot more for us if you actually make that public rather yep. than a little bit of private praise. Go on to the iTunes page and give us a review. Things like yep. that, because we, we want to keep delivering really good free content every week. Yep. But, you know, we, we are, we're also professionals where we're taking out of our time. We're taking time of our day where we could actually be making money doing other stuff to deliver this content. So, yeah, we enjoy doing it, but we want to get it out to as many people as possible because, to be honest, this is a promotional tool for our business as well. We're not just doing this because we're both trust fund benefits, beneficiaries. <laughs> And we have nothing better to do with our time, you know. So, yeah, we enjoy doing it, and, and the feedback is awesome. But this is also something we're doing to promote our businesses. And, and any, any help with supporting the show is definitely appreciated. So please yeah. keep it up. Awesome. So, yeah, folks, make sure you check out Mike at his website, MikeMuller.com, or check everything out for me over at NewWarriorTraining.com. You can find everywhere else you can find us on the web on those sites whether it's on Facebook, whether it's Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, all those other mediums, they're all located. Any place that we are on the web, you can find it on our website. You know, it's just kind of shorten things here. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, cool. Good. So we'll be back next week. Another great show, man. I'm looking forward to next week's show as well. Yeah, man. We got Kelly Lambert next week, author of Lifting Depression. So that's going to be an awesome show, man. I'm really looking forward to it. The book is fantastic, so I'm really looking forward to talking to her about her ideas on addressing depression, which is another one of those topics, like, like uh, human trafficking with James Pond on episode 10. You know, we're going we're gonna to bring those topics in where every once in a while people are going to be like, whoa, uh, I'm surprised these guys are having that on the show. But that's what it's all about. It's about living life aggressively. It's about provoking thought. And yep. just, you know, we're not going to gonna just talk about training every week for the next five years. It's gotta trust me, all this stuff plays a big part in your training. Yeah, it is. You know, it's, it's, exactly. it's, all, it's more than just about... Resistance training is more than just by getting it from the waist. There's a lot of resistance yeah. out there that makes you yeah. stronger. You know, yeah, it all ties in together. It's not exclusive of each other. So it's going to be a great show, and I'm pretty sure everyone that's listening right now has been touched in some way yeah. by depression, whether it happens Absolutely. to you personally or with a family member or a friend, and it's affected you in different various levels because guess what? We're human, and, and that's a big part of being human. There are going to be situations where – you know, and it's not just going to be some Dr. Phil type episode or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, not going to be some hokey like that. So definitely tune in for that. Keep your feedback coming. And, hey, people, I'm glad you guys are enjoying the show. We're enjoying bringing it to you. And we'll definitely see each and every one of you next week. So there you go. Take care, everyone. Take care. Take care.